Mike Murphy, uh-huh. Fred Hubert, Murph and Fred back together again on ESPN <laughs> 1000. Oh, what an exciting sports night. Therefore, what an exciting sports morning show. It's Murph and Fred, 9 till noon. Did you catch your breath, Fred, from those games yesterday? Wow. Well, uh, yeah, they were both really exciting uh, <laughs> and scoreless until late yes. in the contest. And, you know, it was interesting contest. Uh, uh-huh. Cubs Cubs got uh, Cubs are smart. They took walks. And they got a bunch of them. What is it? Six of them in two, a couple innings. Yeah. And uh, and then uh, the White Sox uh, oh. had Carlos Rodon just wow. dealing yeah. as he's been doing his last six starts. And then Daniel Polka decides, let's go opposite field and end this thing. It was so. a polka party. Not yep. a polka party. And today, by the way, in case, yeah. in case you don't know about it, today is National Happy National Baseball Card Day really? to everybody. Yes. If you get a chance, go to MLB.com. They have a thing um, called the coolest Topps baseball card from every year. They go through every year of Topps baseball card and pick the one card they think is the coolest. I like it. So it's very, very neat. Go check it out. I've got tons of baseball cards sitting in my closet at home. I don't know what I'm ever to do, do with them. They're worth almost nothing. Sell them. Oh. They're worth almost nothing. Oh. Yeah. Mm. It's, uh, it's pointless. Mm. You can send an, sell an entire season's worth of uh, <laughs> 87 Donruss or something for uh, $4. So what's the point? They, 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 managed to, they burn well. Maybe I can use them for kindling. You contact uh, a, a potential buyer of your cards, and uh, he doesn't say which cards you have or how many. How much does it weigh? Yeah, basically. Oh, okay. I'll give you 12 bucks for it if it weighs two pounds. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So, but today is uh, National Baseball Card Day. So uh, think about all the great baseball cards you had. Maybe you still have a, a few set aside. Mm-hmm. I remember grabbing 100 Reggie Jacksons back in yeah, the day. I thought yeah. they'd be worth something. I Maybe s- for Reggie, they would be. I sold all mine. Yeah. Yeah. I had a bunch of Roberto Clemente. Uh-huh. Yeah. Back in the day. Well, Javi would have liked to have bought those. That's right. Yeah. They were worth a lot. It was like the 58 or the 59 uh, Roberto Clemente. And uh, they used they sold them by a series. In mm-hmm. other words, like in April, it would be a series one made. And, and by like They're starting sep- to do that now. They did that really? the last couple of years, yeah. And then by September, nobody was buying the cards anymore. It was like the number 400 through number 500. Yeah. And Clemente was like 498. And so no one was buying them. No one. So I had a big stack of the, and I never touched them. I, so all of a sudden, time to sell the cards. You got Roberto Clemente 59s in yeah. good condition. Uh-huh. Okay, here you go. Thank yep. you very much, Roberto. Yeah, they, they try to figure out. The problem is it, it got <laughs> it got out of out of uh, hand when people started selling, when there were too many companies selling too many different sets of cards each year. Mm-hmm. So yeah. same way that uh, comic books did yeah, with, uh, with five thing. different Spider-Man comics ruin instead of just thing. one. Yep. How you doing, everybody? Murph and Fred. All right, here's what we have today. Lots of baseball talk. We'll continue to talk about the exciting Cubs uh, game from yesterday and the White Sox game. Hope you stayed up and saw it. I was just about ready to throw in a towel. Boom! There goes the oppo. One to nothing win. Home run Daniel Polka in the left field. We'll have plays and sound bites of the Sox and the Cubs. Also talk about a little bit about how Daniel Polka and uh, Kyle Schwarber compare with Ah. each other because a couple of uh, left-handed sluggers Uh and uh, their numbers are pretty, you know, pretty pretty surprising when I took a look at them. You did a little number crunching, huh? Uh -huh, Just a little bit. I compared uh, here on the yellow pad, we'll get to later, Sandberg's uh, 1984 
uh, Hall of Fame, I'm sorry, uh, MVP. MVP season. And uh, what uh, Baez, Javi's uh-huh. doing this year, second base pretty much, just like Rhino. They're about the same age. Rhino was 24 and uh, Baez 25. Anyway, we'll get to that. But last night, yesterday afternoon, lots of great baseball. Uh, the Cubs come from behind. Uh, they're down 2-0. Everybody starts uh, walking. Like Aerosmith, like a walk-this-way day. Cubs uh, with the victory are now three games in front of the Milwaukee Brewers, another comeback victory for the Cubs. Some good news lost in the walk shuffle was uh, Kyle Hendricks with uh, a very nice outing, six innings. He gave up eight hits but walked nobody, five strikeouts. He looked more like himself, which would bode well for a starting pitching rotation that needs it. By the way, did I mention Jesse Rogers at 10 o'clock and Patrick Finley, Bears guy at the Sun-Times around 11 o'clock. So, Fred, uh, you know, walks are usually boring. They're usually, oh, man, you know, hit the ball. Well, no, it's walks, strikeouts, or homers. Right. right? That's all you hear about. That's all now. you hear about in baseball. That's all it is. But sometimes... It's not bad. Well, you know, if you were able to sit through the first six and two-thirds where the Cubs didn't have a hit. No hits. Yeah. Uh, they had no hits, six and two-thirds, and one, all of a sudden... One base runner only. That was Rizzo. At the very beginning. Not leading off yeah. the first, right? Leading off the first, walk. he walked. Uh-huh. And then uh, there was nothing. No base runners, no nothing. Jeremy Hellickson, which surprised the hell out of me, uh, is that he was able to shut down the Northsiders. And he didn't give up any hits. Heck, he didn't give up any hits before he left. After the 13-pitch walk to uh, Rizzo, he then uh, gave up more walks. And the next thing you know, there's Jason Hayward to the rescue. Well, the 13-pitch walk, I think it sort of caught uh, Len Casper a little off guard because it's tough, I would imagine. Never never been a play-by-play TV guy in the uh-huh. major market or anywhere. But you got to you know, you entertain. Foul ball, foul ball, foul ball. You know, pretty soon you got to start either telling a story or... Hey, listen, Vin Scully did it for years by himself, so... Oh, no, no, no. Yeah. Oh, you're, no, you're exactly right. right. So... I'm not saying it's impossible. No. I'm saying, but you have to walk the happy medium between another foul ball, here's a foul ball. You got to tell a little story or keep it rolling, right, somehow. Uh, or Arnie Harris... Uh, I, you days, that's right, you guys don't do Cubs math. Huh? Down in the truck... You know, give me a hot, uh, nice uh, hat shot, or a hot hat shot, I almost said. And then zoom in on some uh, woman with a crazy hat. That would fill in the right. next foul ball. So, seventh pitch, eighth pitch, ninth pitch, foul ball, ten. The crowd then starts... I don't. I don't know if the crowd was as much into. We need this man on base because we don't, and we don't have a hit, or just like you've said, Fred. This game, nothing's happening. Yeah, not a thing's There's happening. Something. We can yeah. cheer along at bat. There's another foul ball. Let's see how long this is back and go. Well, you know, and usually, you know, these days, speed up the game. Yeah. Oh, you know, the foul. Nothing. But then it gets to the point where it does become compelling. And it does become edge of your seat. What's going to happen here? Foul ball. Fo- now, it's 12 pitches. And, and again, there's two out. Nobody on. It's the bottom of the sixth inning. A third out here sends you to the seventh. Like you said, Frank's right. got a no-hitter going. So, Jim Deshays, he's pretty jacked up here. Well, let's say eavesdrop. Uh, here's the TV call from Len and J.D. You know, here's the 13th pitch, and it'll finally be a walk. Cub fans get behind the big guy. Rizzo on again. 
Snaps a string of 17 consecutive Cubs retired by Hellickson. As the crowd goes wild. I'm glad he said that because the way he said Rizzo on again, it's like he'd gotten on the whole game. Yeah. No, he had gotten on once. He was the only other guy that had got on. And he did it, like we said, he led, did it leading off the right. game for the Cubs in the bottom of the first All inning. these highlights will be courtesy of NBC Sports Chicago. So that puts a runner on first again, uh, two out, sixth inning, Cubs down two to nothing. That brings up Javi. And what do you know? The guy with the no-hitter out there, uh, all of a sudden, he's uh, he can't find home plate. No, he couldn't throw a strike. He's rattled. Yeah. Ball one, ball two, ball three, ball four. Yep. A quick walk to Javi. First and second, two out, down by two. Here comes Zobris. Ball one, ball two, ball three, ball four. Yeah. He's got a no-hitter going. He just walked the bases loaded. And Davey Martinez in the dugout says, well, you know what? This, this guy's up to about 89, 88 pitches, whatever. He's not going to pitch a no-hitter. He ain't going three more innings with right. the pitch count where it is. So I better walk out there. Jay Hay, the Jay Hay kid's up next, so I'm going to bring in a lefty Solis. Turns out that Hayward is actually hitting lefties at a 303 clip mm -hmm. this year, unlike his uh, previous last couple seasons where he was almost an automatic out in the 230s or two, you know, 40s. So Hayward steps up. Now bases loaded two out. All of a sudden, the crowd's exciting. A lefty comes in. Let's see what, not to say hey kid, that'd be Willie Mays. Let's see what the Jay Hay kid does here. Hayward has done so much damage with men on base. Well, if you're only going to get one hit, you might as well get it with the bases loaded. Three walks and then a solid line drive single from Hayward. What a turnaround. <laughs> if you're not going to get any hits, yeah, you might as well make, one. make the one that you get count. Yep. So that ties up the game. Uh, when's the last time you see the uh, you know three walks in a row? But you know what? You'll take it. You were down 2-0. Nothing was happening. So the Cubs tie it up there at 2-2. At two two. Then you get to the uh, bottom of the eighth inning. And uh, before you know it, they got the bases loaded again. Bottom of the seventh. Bottom of the seventh. Yeah. Thank you, Fred. And that includes, we can talk about later, a... Uh, I didn't think it was controversial, but Joe Madden popped a cork. I think he faked it. I think he just wanted to fire everybody up. But a leadoff single by the Schwarbs uh, in the bottom of the seventh. The score tied 2-2. Contreras then will cover more later. Fred out for running out of the baseline, but the double line down to first. Then a pinch hit by Hap, and he goes up the middle. All of a sudden, I see the Cubs, instead of trying to pull everything, they've been pull happy for the last week. Today, uh, yesterday rather, they finally started at least when Rizzo planted the seed and started taking some pitches going, uh, you know, more up the middle or oppo. Well, it took them seven innings, but they started doing it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I, I, I sincerely think, you know, Rizzo sort of uh, planted the seed. They said, you know what? We're not getting any hits off this guy. We better change our approach. So a, a base hit by uh, half in a pinch hitting roll. And uh, then a, a base hit uh, by Russell. Now that'll load up the bases with one out. And Rizzo's up, scores tied. And the crowd's thinking, oh, what do we got here? Base hit, a double, not a double play. I don't think anybody figured it was another Aerosmith moment. He's probably going to walk this way. Let's go now. Here's Anthony Rizzo. Bases loaded, bottom of the seventh. Tie score one out. Anthony? Well, Greg Holland, <laughs> how brave are you going to be here on 3-0? Slider's always been his best pitch. He walked 
Cubs lead three to two. What a day for the leadoff man. He's walked three times, and the last two enormous. <laughs> they had more four pitch walks last yesterday in those two innings. Yeah, they, had, they must have had like five four pitch walks, and that, <laughs> that was just absolutely amazing. You know, to backpedal, I think one of the reasons Joe got thrown out of the game, something about Davey Martinez. He just really wanted to win this game, and he hasn't been thrown out much this year at all. Uh-huh. I can't recall. And, you know, you might think this is a meatballish or crazy, but I think sometimes it can fire up a team. If not, the manager at least feels like it can, and if it works, it works. If it doesn't, so what? Right. I really think that Davey Martinez over there had something to do with Joe arguing uh, a call that is, A, not reviewable by video, mm-hmm. and B, it's a cut-and-dried rule. You know, yeah, he ran inside the base path. If and, yeah, if you're not within the double line and the and the thrown ball is anywhere near you, you're automatically out. Doesn't have to hit the runner. Yeah. Now, if the ball's rattling around out against the left center field wall, and and you're the batter runner, as they officially call you, and you're round and running out of you know you don't have to be between the double lines if the ball's not you know in play near. No, you. it's just you can't. Yeah, but you it's can't. an automatic deal. Right. Joe had nothing to argue. Yeah, the only thing that he did argue was the throw was so bad, he said it didn't matter where Contreras was. But you don't know what's in the third baseman's head when he fields the ball. Uh, The third third baseman says, well, the guy's inside the line. Where am I going to throw the ball to? And he's got to make that in a split-second decision. So that's why the rule's there. And then Joe came out and argued. And not only did he come out and argue, but then he ran to first base and he demonstrated exactly where the ball was and where the throw was. Well, the old expression, he wanted to get his money's worth. I think yeah. he'd already been a heave, the heave-ho by it. Once by he ran point. down to first base, yeah, he yeah. got the heave-ho. Yeah, yeah. So, so uh, he was just trying to fire everybody because he had a nonsensical argument in the sense that it's not umpire discretion uh, to decide. You know, No, it's cut and dried. But that's okay. Joe did what Joe did. So now it's three to two Cubs and the new closer. Remember about a week ago we were talking about who's the Cubs closer going right. to be without Morrow and what are you going to, you know, will Wilson, uh, Wilson, will Wilson get some, uh, uh, Edwards is, is, uh, going to be out. Will Strope get some, uh, appearances out there? The two new guys, Chavez, uh, out there and, and, uh, uh, well, C-Shack, of course, Kinsler is the name I was trying to come up with. Yeah. He was in earlier. Yeah. But now it looks like Strope. Here's our Murphy Fred Fan Focus Group Twitter poll. Vote right now if you haven't already. Got some big uh, numbers rolling in over the last hour at ESPN 1000. Vote now. Can Pedro Strope succeed in the closer role? A, B, C, or D. Vote right now. Yes, he can. He's filthy. B, so far, so good. C, (laughs) uncharted territory. Or D, no way. He has nine saves out of 12... uh, attempts this year, which is not good. In fact, it's bad. 75% is bad. You want to be 90 plus uh, to be an elite closer. But I haven't looked it back up, but I think he's uh, three out of his last three since he's sort of been that sounds right. well, the he role. Had, he, had, well, he had one bad one, and okay. then he's pitched well since then. Yeah. It's weird that in, in the uh, newspaper box score, they have to, and they actually list 9 slash 12. Uh, which is rare. I've never seen that before. Sometimes I've seen that. Yeah, because it's not in the box score on MLB.com, but I look at the newspaper and it yeah. says Strope cool. S9-12, so exactly. 9 out of 12, which is interesting. Yeah, the MLB boxes, as we've talked about, they don't give you the time of the game well, the, this one or does. the attendance. Yeah. 
Do they? Yeah. Three, okay. 310, 41,000, three okay. something, 331. 332, 3776. If you want to jump in on any of our topics so far, we're going to go to Pedro Strope now closing up the game. If you want to vote on the radio, can Pedro Strope succeed as the closer? You know, who knows when or if Morrow's coming back? I think Joe. Who can... knows when or if Brian's coming back? Who knows when or if Darvish is coming you got back? That right. Geez, you got all of them. I asked Jesse yesterday, "What if, what's the latest on those three? He goes, absolutely nothing. <laughs> so we'll see if he yeah. got any better today. Well, on 1030 Twitter poll, Fred, thanks if you want to vote right now. Uh, who is back first? Chris Bryant, you, Darvish, or C is. Uh, they're both back on September 1st. Okay. Because that's when you can expand the roster and not have to start sending out guys. So vote right now, 3323776. So Pedro Strope, he wants a three up and three uh, down. Looks like he's got the ninth inning, three up, three down. He has a uh, fly out pretty deep to the right center field in front of the curve of the well. Wind's yeah. blowing. Hayward sort of snakes back a circuitous route, but he hauls it in. A little nail-biter there for Cub fans uh, when, when he was sort of doing a circle uh, route, like in football, like when the tight end does a yep. circle route. Uh, then a uh, fly-out by uh, Big Adams. Now it looks like the last out to wrap up the game. It's a ground ball to... Uh, uh, Rizzo, first base, yeah. Rizzo feeds it nicely. It's going to be pretty bang bang. Pedro's there. The ball, they beat him. The game, no, drops right out of his glove. Well, he, first you thought that Strope was going to get it and just run over to first base himself, went underneath Strope's glove, and then Rizzo yeah. got there. Rizzo gets the ball. He flips it to Strope. Uh -huh. Strope's standing on the base. Yeah. It's an easy flip, and he, it just falls out of his glove. I think it's that colored glove, the blue and the red and the blue and the... He's got a blue and a brown glove and a blue and a red glove and At least all kinds of gloves. You're not blaming the hat, though, right? No, okay. I didn't even notice the hat uh, anymore. No, me neither. Yeah. You know, the first guy to wear the slanted hat for the Cubs, believe it or not, was Jeff Smarja. But that was many years ago. I don't ago. remember that. Yeah. Hmm. He didn't wear... I think it's just because he had so much hair. Well, he didn't, he didn't wear it in the big leagues. He wore it in the minors. Oh, and, okay. And his team press photo, down like at uh, A-ball or... Yeah. Was slanted way over. Huh. I think someone uh, told him, hey, young man, no more of that. Why didn't they tell Strope that? Because it's different times now, yeah, Fred. I guess. can't do that. I guess. So so I'm waiting for the first pitcher to go and wear his hat backwards. They did it in Seattle a couple weeks ago when they did uh, futuristic uniforms. They did oh, cut-off sleeves. I saw that, but didn't know about the hat. Yeah, they did cut-off sleeves. It was a ground ball to D. Gordon, and he had cut-off sleeves. Uh -huh. And his hat on backwards, and he was fielding the ball. And then uh, the four or five of the guys had cut off sleeves. Denard Span and a couple other guys. It was uh, it was interesting. I was actually a big fan of it. So it's the cool. top of the ninth. The Cubs have come from uh, down two zero to be ahead three to two. Pedro drops the soft toss at first, and all of a sudden, come in, uh, there's a tying runs on first. You could hear it in Len's voice. Something bad is going to happen. Oh, he dropped it. What's going to happen now? But Pat, you got a little Jack Brick on there, didn't you? <laughs> That's, what I thought. That's where I thought Len was going. So Pedro says, no, no, no worries, anybody. Trey Turner's up, one of the better scrappy ball players in the game, a speed ball. You think, oh, no, something bad's going to happen. He gets him to two strikes. Pedro, take over, buddy. The slider got him. Cubs win. Cubs win. They come from behind and beat the Nationals 3-2. Kind of a crazy day at the ballpark with Hellickson cruising along with a no-hitter. Cubs not making much solid contact at all against him. 
Rizzo, the, the whole key to this game is the Rizzo walk with two outs in the six. I mean, he just grinded out that at bat. I know it's a cliche, but he works that walk and it, it really uh, knocked uh, Hellickson off his center a little bit. He ends up walking Baez and Zobris, and Hayward delivers to single off the bullpen. Highlights again, NBC Chicago Sports. Good job by the guys right there. Can I put my headphones back on? Is that song over with? Well, you know what I was thinking of, and the tip of the hat to the Sun-Times today, I have to admit the headline writer, I sort of stealing this, but it would have been not apropos, don't get me wrong, but instead of immediately going to the go Cubs, if they'd have gone to Aerosmith, you know, uh-huh. right about there, they'd have gone to walk this way, because as uh, Jimmy Deshaies just said. Well, listen, the Cubs had three hits in their previous game, and they had four <laughs> hits yesterday, none until the seventh. I know. Or the sixth <laughs> inning. So they're not they're not necessarily ripping the cover off the ball, but you know what? They got a win, they did what they needed to do, uh-huh. and it all started with Rizzo. Well, Rizzo... Walk, fly out, walk, walk. So he had a goofy-looking box score, one at bat, no hits, uh, and uh, three walks. He had the RBI, and uh, that's that's the way when you're not hitting, Fred, you know what? You'll take any hit a run scored also. Yeah. So it was oddball, goofy box score, one at bat, one run, no hits, one ribby, three walks. He's up to 264. But uh, Aerosmith... Uh, would have been appropriate right there, uh, you know. Walked. The, in fact, I understand. I haven't heard it. Uh, EO eleven, uh, come on the uh, microphone there. You did a little back room uh, in the old days. We uh, said cutting it up with the uh, with the razor and the and the tape. Yeah, now it's a lot easier. What, what'd you What'd you mix up back there, Eric? Uh, a couple highlights, and then we got our Aerosmith song here. If you let's, oh. let's check it out. Can always have a little Aerosmith. Oh yeah, high school cutie. Well, Greg Holland, how brave are you going to be here on 3 and 0? lead 3-2. What a day for the leadoff man. He's walked three times, and the last two, enormous. Nice. Walk this way. Bullpen under the radar. Three innings pitch for the Cubs yesterday. Five guys, Fred. Yep. Wilson, C. Shack, Kinsler, Edward Strope. Three innings, one hit. Yeah, Kinsler struggled. He walked two guys yeah. and, and they took him out. You know what's interesting though? The box score, yes. Uh he, you know, again, you know, he walked him. Right. No, but he was right there an inch or two off with good solid pitches. Uh, at least he was he was in command and, and walked and wasn't like he was all over and right. you know wet the bed. So uh, uh, also Joe now has bullpen uh, available uh, today. Three days off for uh, Shavitz. Uh, only two batters yesterday, Kinsler, but he was on three days off, so he's he can come back again. And we'll talk about this more at length with Jesse Rogers at the top of the hour. That uh, back in the bullpen now is um, uh, Montgomery, Mike Montgomery. They're going to skip him. It's sort of inside baseball gets into the deep weeds a little bit, so not too much to put you to sleep. But the five man Cubs rotation, they're going to skip. 
Montgomery with some off days coming up. Sort of the opposite of let's go to the six man. They're actually going back to the four man right. with two off days, Fred. So Montgomery is going to start not for 10 days. Well, you got seven starters, six that are active. Uh-huh. Uh, so you're going to sit down another one uh, because, you know, Darvish isn't ready. So, right. yeah, so Montgomery will sit. We saw Tyler Chatwood the other day. Yeah, that was not good. Uh, he's uh, the long mop-up man. He, <laughs> yeah. You know, like people bring or the long add some more runs on man. It would be a funny deal. And I and we, we do have a marketing idea for Brooks Boyer coming up in the next segment at uh, Sox Park. But people, I don't know they, when when there's a you know you've won two in a row and it's a four game series, right. you won three in a row. Do people sneak the brooms in or do are those those? Brooms that detach, they unscrew, and you put the this pole down your leg, and you walk, the, and then you got the the, the broom itself yeah. in your in your pants. I don't know how they get those in anymore. But it'd be an idea. Instead of bringing brooms to the game, yeah. it would be a, a series sweep, a final game of the series. You could bring like mop, a big mop, and whenever uh, Chatty Chatwood's out there warming up, comes in the game, just wait because he's you know the mop up man. Three three two three seven seven six. Now uh, David from Evanston is. Hey David, it's Murph. Did you call last week? I did. I'm the guy. I, remember, about I was thinking show. about you, David. <laughs> let, let me set the table, and we love every fan. You know, we love opinions, and no opinions right or wrong. That's the beauty of sports talk. Last week, David, you gave the Stroper a pretty rough ride, and uh, that was fine. And I think I stood up for Stroper. I said, "Well, you know, he might not really be a closer, but he's been very valuable." I heard a stat this week. He's like the second or third uh, best. Cubs reliever in history based on war and wins above replacement. He's at duration, which is always a, a big part of that, no, though. But like uh, Lee Smith, and uh, so he's been clicking. But you, uh, I, let me guess, you still don't like Pedro as a closer, right, David? Any anybody but Pedro Murphy. I'm telling you. <laughs> come on, come on. He's anybody but Pedro. He's, well, they, he's been on fire, David. Come on. Listen, statistics. Can lie. So this is going to deceive you. Yeah, 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 I know. Pedro, Pedro is good. Yeah. Look, one thing, one thing about Pedro. Have you noticed this? He gives up a lot of almost home runs. Way <laughs> out of the route. Like yesterday. Sure yeah, did. he did. It was almost a home run. Yep. That that happens almost every single time he he's out there. It, thank God we've got good, you know, uh, out, you know, uh, fielders in the outfield here because he he gives up big hits. That almost, you know, leave the yard. Yeah, David. Remember, no, David, I think his biggest problem, David, is this: if if he lets that first guy get on, he yep. struggles. If he gets that first guy yep, out, it. it seems like he's okay. He's going to retire in one, two, three. But on the other side the of the coin, David, uh, yes, Fred, sir. he has wipeout stuff. I mean, he can strike. A closer's got to be able to, you know, get a double play or strike out a guy. And he's got that wipeout slider. He's got some giddy up on the four, on the four yep. seamer. He's got the. Two. I mean, he's tough to hit. And right now, they don't have the bonafide closers. So, uh, you're, you Murph, know, here's. Murph, I, I used to. David, I used to have a thing called, oh, I still have it, the what-if bell. And when we say what-if, that's what sports is all about. I like said, David. Yeah. Anybody but Pedro. Anybody but Pedro. But you said, Pedro's good. What if Pedro's those balls? until somebody gets on base. What if those, balls, what if those balls were home runs? You said, well, 
What if yep. they weren't? I love it. Phone anytime, David. Thanks, David. Thanks, hey, buddy. Thanks. Well, have a great day. Murph and Fred. Hey, oh, back in a that, flash. That's a great one. I can see somebody with a shirt at Wrigley Field. Anybody but Pedro. Uh-huh. Uh, Jesse <laughs> coming up in a half hour. Uh, last chance to vote right now. Uh, Pedro Strope. Can he succeed as the closer? Vote right now in our 930 uh, Twitter poll question on board. Which of these will help Trubisky more? A, the three new wide receivers. B, new offensive schemes. C, both. D, neither. Nothing can help How this about guy. a center that can snap him the ball? <laughs> Let's do that. Who's going to be playing center? Yeah. That's another topic. We can talk with Patrick Finley at 11. Everybody I, tells me it's going to be Cody Whitehair. No, no. They're put, you know what they're going to do? They're going to put Daniels is going to center, and Whitehair is going to be a left guard. Yeah. Because if Cush gets bull rushed or whatever one more time, it could be a picking number 10 up off his off the uh, yeah, turf. That guy's going to, Gino Atkins is going to beat a lot of people. Uh, I know, yeah. I know. But I don't think Kush is the guy. You watch. We'll talk about that. Bears, Sox, Knicks. God, hey, if you know Brooks Boyer, uh, contact him. Let him know when we return. Murph and Fred, ESPN 1000. Got a great marketing plan for you, Brooks. Vote at ESPN 1000. Shining and Cubs and Sox fans are happy after exciting wins last night. Yeah, both at home. A it's one of those, uh, one oh, of those strange right. weeks. Yeah, that's both right. at home. Uh, the, the guy, George, in the um, M&M's jacket. He was at the Cubs game and then yeah. he was at the White Sox game. Lovely Dana said, Who's the guy in the yellow? Uh, I said, That's the famous M&M guy. Yep. She goes, Famous every time. I said, well, he pops up occasionally at Wrigley Field, but he's always always in Sox games. Yeah, George, George Jacobs, great guy. I love M and M's. So do I. Does he like get a free box M and M's uh, by the company? No, it's just a jacket. It's just a jacket. He's got yours. no affiliation as no. You, with that. As far as I know, owns a limo company. Well, why don't we give him like a? ESPN Chicago 1000 jacket. No, he won't. Sit he, there. I don't think he would wear that. It's not bright enough. No. He, he wears it because it sh- makes him stand out. Everyone knows him as the M&M jacket Everybody guy. Can we a, can't we get him a yellow ESPN 1000 oh, but we jacket? Rub, we rub the red and black here, though, Mark. I can't, I can't get an ESPN hat. How are we going to get this guy a jacket? Be honest. Come on. What's up, Fred's can in 10 minutes? talking about? So, walk-off homer. At There's nothing Park. better than a walk-off homer. Last year, yeah. I was at the final week of the season. I saw Ronaldo Lopez go against the Angels. Uh-huh. And in 11 innings, Nicky Delmonico walks it off. Maybe 10 innings. Nicky Delmonico, a walk-off homer. It was an awesome way to end end my season at, uh, at well, guaranteed rate. And now, uh, yesterday... It was a long one, but it was great watching Carlos Rodon pitch. Yeah. The guy just, I don't know if he, he doesn't have buttons on his jersey or if he just likes to have them buttoned halfway down. And You're uh, talking about Jason Benetti or? Uh... No, no, no. Oh. I'm talking talking about Carlos Rodon. Because he doesn't button up either. 
And uh, I rarely talk about Jason Benetti. Um, so you look at it. Carlos Rodon was amazing again. What's He's had Cannon, six great minutes. outings. He's pitched so well since July. It's been terrific. Since July 1st that he's got a 127 ERA in six outings. What He's, was been some great. Of the numbers? he's going to be their number one guy. Uh, best major league, best pitcher in the majors under some different statistical e- ways. Than yeah, that. minimum of 35 innings pitched. He's got a 127 ERA, the best in baseball since July 1st. His last. <laughs> Six starts. I thought Chris One, Sale was one twenty-seven yeah. ERA. Yeah, he tears up his uniform. So who cares about Chris <laughs> Sale? Forty-two and two-thirds, twenty-two hits, nineteen walks, thirty-six strikeouts. You talk about WHIP zero point nine six. What's up, Fred's Cannon? Eight minutes and counting. Zero point nine six WHIP. So so it's a ninth inning, no score. I can't wait till Boston gets to the World Series and then Sale blows one or two games. And uh, Daniel. Polka, who had struck out three times, but he's, you know, he's the old home run or nothing guy. And if you're going to hit a home run every four at bats and strike out the other three, I think there's a spot for you. In fact, after the home run, I, I believe I, I'll quote my good buddy Steve Stone correctly. I think he said along the lines of, you got to find a place for this guy. Mm-hmm. You got to get him in there more often. Last Saturday, Daniel Polka. We had a soundbite ready to roll, Fred, and we flat ran out of time. This is from our uh, ESPN 1000 10 days ago. Not this past Wednesday, but a week ago. I was going to air it. We were going to air it last Saturday. We have a thing. We love all our sponsors, and we love the White Sox Minute, which you'll hear from time to time. And here was the White Sox Minute a week ago Wednesday, right after Daniel Polka had uh, he'd, he'd done it again. This is your White Sox Minute. I'm Jason Benetti. First week of April 1977, the Sox decided to part ways with Bucky Dent. In exchange, they got both Lamar Hoyt and Oscar Gamble. Hoyt eventually won the Cy Young Award in 1983. Gamble's tenure was much shorter, but that 77 season kept him in the record books through today. Gamble hit three pinch-hit home runs that year, a record he now shares with Daniel Polka after his heroism yesterday. Sox were tied at three in the eighth. Polka came off the bench to pulverize a three-run long ball and give the Sox an eventual 6-4 victory. Polka's now just a couple of home runs away from the Major League rookie lead with 16 total. Not bad. That was no, uh, not bad at all. about 10 days ago. Oh, by the way, some of the many notes that came through after the Sox game on the Polka Homer, one I heard, I, I think I heard it, uh, you know, on NBC Sports Chicago after the game, the first White Sox walk-off game-winning, obviously, right. if it's a walk, game-winning walk-off home run in a 0-0 game since Don Buford in 1963. Oh, I love Don Buford. Uh, go you, Buford! Yeah, he was awesome. Yell. Unbelievable player Yeah, for the White so, Sox. And uh, the Orioles. A, a lot of uh, great notes on that. So, uh, Well, I'm looking at Paul Kidd. I, I, he looks like and reminds me yeah. a lot of Kyle Schwarber. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's bigger than Schwarber is, especially now after okay. Schwarber lost his weight. But I'm looking at the numbers, yeah. the slash lines. Schwarber's 244, 362, 470. 244, okay. 362, 470. And yeah, for those who were wondering, it's 244 average, 362 on base, and 470 slugging. Mm-hmm. Okay. Polka is 238 average. That's uh, six points less than Schwarber. Mm-hmm. His on base is less because he doesn't take as many walks. Right. His on base is only 281. His slugging's 502. Nice. For home runs and RBIs, Schwarber has 20 and 48. 
Polka has 18 and 46. Mm -hmm. For walks and strikeouts, here's where the difference is. Schwarber was 61 walks and 107 strikeouts. Polka, 16 walks and 97 strikeouts. And um, he's got about 60 more at bats, mm. uh, Schwarber does. 60 yeah. more at bats than Polka if does. If Polka could get those walks up a little bit, that would be a big Well, you know help. what? And the reason Schwarber walks is because people respect him mm. and they watch the way they pitch him. And right now, Polka probably is yeah. earning some of that respect. So maybe he'll walk a little bit more if he, you know, if he, you know, if they start respecting right. him a little bit more, they start pitching around him because they realize what he can do with it. But 18 home runs in 269 nice. at-bats, not too bad. Yeah, he's country strong. He's Here's, unbelievably uh, NBC strong. NBC Sports Chicago. I believe Steve Stone, my good buddy, will uh, say the uh, walk-off uh, homer could win it right here. A chance to walk it off against Neil Ramirez here in the ninth. And when he hits it hard, then it goes far. But when he gets it, they stay got. And that was a rocket out of the park. Daniel Polka once again. He walks it off for the only run tonight. So, yeah. And the pitch was outside, too. Oh, it, was outside. A, it was an outside pitch. He, he hammered it. He stuck the bat out and, and ripped it the other mm -hmm. way. As soon as it was hit, it was gone. It was Chuck Garfine you heard after Stone who said when he hits it, he hits it hard. <laughs> yes. Or when he hits it hard, it goes far. And it did yesterday. It certainly did. Well, I have a, a note here from a longtime uh, listener, uh, fan of Sports Talk Radio, Garage Joe. Biggest White Sox fan. Well, Fred and Garage Joe tied for biggest. And uh, you've met him over the years. He, said, he uh, let me know last year. I got an idea. I got what? Instead of uh, polka uh, uh, when it's time, it's polka time. I go, he says, polka. Then I'm thinking, how many people still even know what a polka song is? Look, in fact, let's be. Well, know, if you're German, you do. Well, yeah. All Germans do. When it comes to Oktoberfest, everybody knows a polka. You know, 11. Uh, your demographic, uh, you know, you're around town, you know a lot of stuff, but you're younger guys. You, don't, you never hear of polka music anymore, but do you know what that is? I do. And when I hear the word polka, <laughs> yeah. I just picture. <laughs> Some big tubby dude walking around with a sousaphone, just playing a bump. <laughs> I just picture yeah, like yeah. bouncy music. Yep. Yeah. So, uh, in fact, uh, in there's a commercial on TV yeah. for "Come on up to Milwaukee." Well, the Brewers games too. Uh, come on, yeah, come on up to Milwaukee, and, and uh, they they they're playing polka yeah. music and they're drinking big beers and. It's like, okay, that sounds like a fun time. Well, for any of our listeners that, uh, you know, just moved to the Midwest or wherever, you know, what the heck? The beer barrel polka, right? Here, here's an example of polka. All right. All right. We'll have a barrel of fire. beer, too. You see your guy playing the big uh, tuba there? Okay. I feel it. It's got the leader hosing on. It's got a bratwurst with some doodle, Dusseldorf mustard. I don't know how they wear those leather uh, leather hoses. <laughs> All right. Now, that's what we do in Reno called a slow fade. Okay, very good. Now, so here's the idea from Garage Joe. He says, can you pass this over to Brooks Boyer, marketing uh -huh. director at the White Sox? He said, anytime, like guys have walk up songs, right. you know, when they walk up to the plate. He says, anytime Daniel... Polka hits a home run. It should be called polka time, like polka time. Uh -huh. And uh, as he's rounding the bases, it'd be very simple. You cue up 
the old White Sox go-go polka music from 1959 as he's, as he's rounding the... No, 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 the go-go White Sox old school polka music. White Sox. White Sox. White Sox. There you White go. Sox. go. That's go. what White you Sox. do. Let's go, go, go. Every time polka homers is according to Garage Joe. Play this the you old play time. play this as he's rounding the bases and everybody dances the polka in the stands. It's polka time. That could be. There could you work. go. They play this a lot during the games, well, though. Well, they've got to do it a lot yeah, more. They have to keeps... only play it for his home runs. Well, then. if he keeps hitting homers, they're going to be playing it a lot more. I will, I like the idea of, like, because to me, this doesn't sound polka-y enough to me. I'd like a, like a really tacky I, polka song. Right, well, then the I beer barrel. I like the, the idea barrel. a lot, Then the though. beer barrel. Yeah, play let, the beer barrel polka. And let the record show I've never heard the word polka-y. But I like it. This isn't <laughs> polka-y enough. Let's see if uh, he can hit one off of Trevor Bauer tonight. That's going to be tough. Bauer is uh, one of the toughest pitchers right now in baseball. Jesse Rogers in about 15 minutes. Patrick Finley bears guys sometimes around 11 o'clock. And vote right now. We'll have the results when we return. Oh, I want to get the results of the Pedro Strope right now. I'm sorry, EO11, you're still there. Can Pedro Strope succeed as the closer of the Cubs? Yes, he's filthy. B, so far so good. C, uncharted territory. Or D, no way, he's too erratic. What the fans say, EO? All right, the bottom two are tied with 16%. Okay. Uncharted territory and no way. 19% saying yes, he's filthy, and almost 50%. So 49% saying so far, so good. And right now, he's Joe's guy. So keep your fingers crossed, Cub fans, that Stroper can continue. The lead's now three, and you got Milwaukee down facing Atlanta. So that's a good thing. you gotta, you got to put away these nationals in the next two days. Vote right now on our uh, Mitch Trubisky Twitter poll. We have the results, and we return just in a few minutes. Vote at ESPN 1000. Mike Murphy, Fred Huebner, hope you're having a great Saturday. We are here with you every Saturday night until noon. Fred, what do you think the results are going to be here? Uh, our Twitter poll, which of these uh, four choices, which uh, would you vote for? Uh, what will help uh, Mitch Trubisky more this year? A, the new wide receivers. B, the new offensive schemes. Both. Neither. What do you think? I'm going to say the new uh, offensive schemes. You're not much on the new receivers. Yeah. I don't even know that Allen Robinson exists. I've not seen him he's yet. He's still got a knee. Well, we've Hopefully he's got two knees. But, yeah, I mean. He's on the report with knee. I know, but he, with, they say he was stressed the other day. I didn't, even see, I didn't see him. If he's not on the field to me, I don't know who he is. So I'm waiting for him to get on the field and okay. do something. So, well, I got to say both. I mean, new wide receivers. I know most people will say both. And new offensive scheme. I'm saying the scheme. Okay. Will anyone say D? Neither. That nothing's going to help them? I don't think so. What was D at EO11? EO11. People did vote. So D is at uh, 14% for me there. 14%. 14%. That is the lowest. The wide receivers and the new scheme, nothing's going to help Trubisky. Okay, fine. What was the winner? 
The winner is 54% said both. Okay. Both yeah. the new scheme and the three wide, new wide receivers. Okay, so A and B is the key here. Uh, what got the bigger vote? Fred voted B over A, the uh, new scheme. Which were tight. So new right. scheme had 15%, new wide receivers had 17%. Uh, it's about, it's about Virtually what, the same. Uh, we might yeah. have thought. Okay, cool. Hey, uh, hey, oh. I sound like uh, from uh, Johnny Carson. Yeah, well, right. But then there was the uh, Kingsley, the playoff that with uh, Gary Shandling show, remember? It's, no, I don't. I never watched the Gary Shandling show. Oh, that was the funniest show ever. Well, he stole, the, he stole that from uh, Ed McMahon. Well, yeah, but it was, yeah. Well, it, it was a parody. Yeah, yeah I know. Okay. All right. Yeah. So, uh, 8888 flew by, middle of the week, and just to touch base, the uh, the lights and the 30 years, and that was all uh, hashed back and forth with some good stuff. But uh, I thought Carmen had some interesting comments, as he always does. Don't get me wrong. We got a quick sound bite here. Miss a little, uh, miss a lot. Uh, Carmen and uh, Yurko uh, earlier this week. The Cubs were one of the dominant National League teams in the late 20s and throughout the 30s. They were set to get lights, just like everybody else would soon get lights. They never put them in. They donate the steel. They never put them in. Right. And they never go back. Because they were exhausted every September. Right, right. And anytime they did have a lead, they blew it. The rest of the league right. went to lights. They played right. night games. The players weren't as tired. The Cubs were the only right. team playing day games at home. And a lot of baseball historians have always looked at that and said there's something to it. it. They yes. were exhausted. And there was definitely something to it. Interesting angle. And uh, Fred, we could probably do 15, 20 minutes on yep. this. There is one thing, though. I wanted to show you something, Fred. Uh-huh. In ninth, Okay. If managers, see, managers back then, no one had right or wrong the Joe Madden mentality of resting guys. Back in those days, if you didn't play 162 games, you were a blank. Yep. The manager says, get out there, hun-. Leo DeRocher. If you don't play 162 games, you're a blankety blank, all right? And the blankety blank is worse than you could even imagine. I'm blankety blank and even the blankety blank, if uh-huh. you know what I mean, right? And so, say a guy like Kessinger's dead tired, he just played 14 games in a row, and he would never, ever, ever think of going to Leo and saying, Leo, I'm going to need a day off. Because right. Leo would embarrass him in front of the whole locker room. Hey, everybody, this blankety-blank wants a day off. Get out there! Now, in 1967, here's a piece of... In September of 67, the Cubs played four consecutive doubleheaders uh-huh. at Wrigley Field. Due to rainouts earlier and a Labor Day scheduled doubleheader. September 1st, 2nd, 3rd, and 4th, they played eight games. Day game, four days. Right. I put down here the starting lineups from Mr. DeRocher for all eight games. Kessinger batted leadoff all eight games. Yes, he did. The number two was Glenn Beckert. Eight games he started in four days. Right. Williams in the three-hole. Billy Williams... He started every game, eight in a row. Sano, eight in a row. Banks started eight in a row. Adolfo Phillips in the eight hole, eight in a row. Yep. He only started to catch a Randy Hundley uh, seven times. He, he started uh, Stevenson as a guy once caught his foul ball, but he put Hundley in there later in the game. Right. And he platooned a right field, sad, tough Ted Savage and Al Spangler, lefty righty. I loved Al Spangler. Oh yeah, depending on the pitcher. The point is, could you nowadays if there is one doubleheader, 
They do everything they can to not let anyone play both games. A lot of people do, yeah. I know. A lot of players. <laughs> but a lot this of, is the way it was. A lot of managers do. Can you imagine that starting the same guys every day, eight games in four days it happened? You can look it up, as they say, September 1st, 2nd, 3rd, and 4th. Eight games at Wrigley Field. I was at 40 games in 1967. Unbelievable. Well, you look at it now. Washington's played 116 games. Yeah. Trey Turner's played every game. Mm-hmm. You look at San Diego, uh, Freddie Galvis, 118 games, he's played every game. Oh, yeah. Manny Machado, 117 games, he's mm-hmm. been with two different teams. I think he's played just about every game. Right. Cody Bellinger, 116 games. I look at the Dodgers, they've played 117, so he's played all but one. So, Joe does it, but not all teams do it with their guys. Well, well, uh, Paul Goldschmidt, 115, and let's see, Phoenix this year, Phoenix, Arizona, has played 117. So well, well, he's missed two Jesse, games. And, so, uh, but the key, the proof will be in the pudding, as they used to say. Well, See how it, those guys do in September. Again, it also helps if you, have, if you have good players. Yeah. Murph and Fred, our number one's history. Back in a flash, Jesse next. Stick around. It's ESPN 1000. Here's our uh, 10 a.m. Murph and Fred fan focus group Twitter poll. Bears talk in exactly one hour. Patrick Finley sometimes got call in. Vote right now. Here's the setup for the Twitter poll. When Chris Bryant returns, A, B, C, or D. David Bodie lost in the shuffle. B, David Bodie still gets action. C, David Bodie starts four days a week. Somehow. D, David Bodie is a regular. Even when Chris Bryant returns. You said irregular or irregular? A. <laughs> okay. Regular. I'm irregular, but the question is hopefully a regular question. Unfortunately, so is <laughs> Kenley Jansen with an irregular heartbeat and he's out for a month. I read that. Dodgers are going to struggle. Vote now at ESPN 1000. Well, it's Saturday. He's at the park. Jesse Rogers, busiest guy in town. And uh, Jesse Baseball Symmetry, catch it. Our Twitter poll, uh, when Chris Bryant returns, and then multiple uh, results as to what might happen to one of the uh, favorite guys for a lot of fans now, getting to know David Bodie. But I understand uh, you've got some uh, news there from uh, Clark and Addison on uh, Chris Bryant. Good morning, Jesse. How you doing, buddy? I'm great. Good morning. Always good to talk to two of my favorites ah. every Saturday at the park, right? Your, um, nose, yeah. your nose is growing. You, you know who you're talking to. You know you're on Murph and Fred. Yeah, right it's now. not Carmen and Yurko. All, right. <laughs> All my cr- fingers and toes are crossed. Okay. Um, yeah, no, it's a good question about Bodie because it's, it, it could be important. There is some good news. It didn't really come up after the game yesterday because it was such a dramatic and crazy game and win and everything that that was the focus. But I'm hearing today that Chris Bryant did indeed swing the bat a little bit. Uh, off the tee only, not sure how many swings, not a lot, I'm told. But he did pick up a bat, I think, for the first time. That's as far as I know and anybody else knows, I think. The first time since he went down the last time, 
He picked up a bat, swung off the tee, and so that's at least a development worth noting. We'll see if that if that advances today, and he'll talk more about how he feels. But I think things went well, and so it's a three o'clock game. We'll get in there about twelve and talk to him about it. But at least that starts that clock that we talk about with these guys that are hurt. Darvish's clock has been started. Morrow's clock is still on you know hold or whatever hasn't moved lately but it, uh swinging the bat off the tee for chris bryant is a good development we'll see what it where it leads well we, we started the clock on you about uh 25 27 <laughs> years ago and you're still here <laughs> all right but jesse fred let's stay on this now uh the way it sounds to me he would he's okay he has pain when he fully extends, in other words, at the end of the big home run swing. Now, we know that he has not had the, statistically, the home run power for a long, long time. Would it be safe to say he could play, uh, you know, September? He wouldn't, you know, but if it's still, there's still something tight there, still something barking at him, as they say. He could still play and not have the home run swing. Or, nigga, no, 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 no. It could hurt him more. Don't play. We can clean it up in the offseason. So I guess my question is, would, uh, would you think that he can play regardless of how he feels uh, shoulder-wise in September, even if he didn't have the power? Yes, I do think he will play. But I do think they really want him to be able to have everything that he is all about with that swing. And that's why they're being very patient, very cautious with it. And that is why when he comes back, I liken it to that, that you know, we're midseason in, in the football season and to, uh, running back X can't, can't practice all week, but he can play on Sunday. I mean, maybe Chris Bryant does very little before games for the rest of this year, and they just roll him out there for four at-bats. Now, we don't know how effective he'll be in any sort of scenario like that, either reduced prep or even um, hurting or discomfort a little bit and still swinging. But I think they're going to try to put him in the best possible position to get five, six weeks out of him, mm-hmm. seven weeks, whatever it's going to be, and then you know shut it down and figure it out in the off season. So that's why I do think, you know, going back to your poll, Bodie will have a role because Bryant will not be playing six days a week. Yeah, I just think that sounds dangerous. That if, he, if he's not as close to 100% as he can be, that him coming back and it, you know how hard it is to tell a guy that's a, a hitter like Chris Bryant, you know, not to swing full out. I mean, and if he does one time and it goes and it, it I mean, I would think he's for, he's still going to be, you know, several weeks away. Wouldn't you think, Jess? Uh, maybe not several. Maybe not several. Remember, it's not like these pitchers who have to wait five days to, to throw again, right. right? Or he can swing again today or tomorrow, possibly. So, but but maybe a week, if ten days, you could be right. Could be two weeks. But this is why they're taking it so slow. I think that they really don't want him to um, uh, limit his swing or right. think about it. I mean, he'll be ineffective that way. Sure. So he, they want him to be himself, but but to be himself and to stay healthy, I just don't think he can do the prep work he was doing every day in terms of batting practice, everything else. I think they're just going to try to get the best out of him in the games and, and, and maintain it that way. Now, this is all conjecture, because who knows how the shoulder is right. going to respond moving. Maybe it's completely healthy, or maybe it just can't can't get where he needs to be, but um, this is just conjecture right now, uh, the way they've talked about it. They're going to have to show, have some maintenance and some patience about it, uh, even when he returns. And maybe he picked up the bat, swung off the tee, and his, his shoulders barking this morning. Exactly, right. exactly, and that's why I got to get in there and talk to him. Okay, Jesse Rogers, Jesse.
another uh, nail biter yesterday. A crazy game. They always say, or I always say, you can go to uh, you know thousand baseball games in your life, and you'll still see something. Most likely, the next game you've never seen before could be subtle, could be something big. But to have all those walks was an amazing thing. A guy with a no hitter walking three straight guys. In fact, hey, really. uh, our own Eric Ostrowski put the uh, put your phone right up to your ear there, Jesse. Did a little back uh, room uh, magic here uh, with a uh, tip of the hat to the Sun Times headline writer and Aerosmith. Well, Greg Holland, how brave are you going to be here on 3 and 0? lead 3-2. What a day for the leadoff man. He's walked 3 times and the last 2 enormous. Unbelievable. Uh, in the uh, leadoff slot, three walks yesterday for Rizzo. The 13-pitch walk where the crowd was going wild. Riz said after the game, hair was standing up on back of his neck with the crowd. You know, nothing had happened. Fred was saying, well, you know, he went six innings, basically. Six and two-thirds. Nothing, had, nothing was going on. Finally, you get to 13 pitches and then totally, totally rattles in the uh, sixth inning there. Uh, the uh, Hellickson and now... Eight pitches, two more walks, load the bases, brings up, and a big at bat for uh, the Jay Hay kid who has a uh, reputation of not hitting lefties. But now he's hitting over 300, I think I heard, uh, splits-wise versus lefties. Hits a, a rocket out there for a two-run single. But that wasn't enough for Riz. Now he comes up again in the uh, bottom of the seventh inning, tied game bases load. He walks to walk in what will be the uh, winning, the lead run. Jesse, when the first six innings, nothing happened. They were trying to pull it again. All of a sudden, here's my question. It appeared that Rizzo's 13-pitch at bat showed everybody else in the dugout. All right, we got to take pitches. We got to, therefore, you know, use the whole field, as Joe says. Go oppo. The big pinch hit up the middle by half. It's amazing to think a walk could turn the whole game around. Well, when you follow that up with a four-pitch walk to Javi Baez, you know you've ruined that pitcher. I mean, Ellickson was just a mess. This is what I love about baseball, Murph. Okay, it, it's not just that he had that 13-pitch at bat it turned around. It's that there's two outs and nobody on in the sixth inning when that happens. You know, it'd be one thing if Ellickson came out to start the sixth and was a disaster. He fell apart. But he's rolling along in the inning, in the same inning that he gets the first two outs. He falls apart. And they score those runs. That's what I love about baseball. Can turn at any moment. And if you let up your focus as a pitcher, as a hitter, as a fielder, as an umpire, the game changes. And that's exactly what happened. And every time you are worried about the Cubs' problems, look at a team like the Nats and remind yourself how difficult it is to keep winning year after year after year. That Nats team is loaded. All of a sudden, Tanner Rourke, who the pitches today, he looks human on paper. 
Gio Gonzalez looks human. Now Scherzer is still Scherzer. But look at Rendon and Zimmerman and all these names. The numbers are nothing special this year. Juan Soto's probably been their best player, and he just came up a few months ago. Right. It, it's amazing. I was already, I mentioned this on Sylvain Watt, I was already, if they had lost that game, to, to sort of go negative in my post-game thing because I just felt like you can't keep playing this way and expect to win. It's going to crater on you. Hmm. But look at the rest of the league. Maybe you can't keep playing this way. They're 6-3 and three in August. It doesn't feel like they're 6-3 and three in August, but the rest of the league isn't exactly running away with anything. So you, my point in all this is you have to maintain. And if you have a good clubhouse culture like the Cubs do, it's easier to sort of maintain when things are going bad. Hap is bad, 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 then gets a hit, right? Schwarber, bad, 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 then gets a hit. Even Rizzo was struggling for three months, moves the lead off, and all of a sudden the numbers increase. So you, over 162, you really do have to stay the course and the Cubs proved that yesterday. You're getting no hit. You're looking terrible. Two outs in the sixth. The game changes. Jesse Rogers, our Cubs guy. The pitching gets lost in the shuffle. Kyle Hendricks, well, eight hits sounds like a bad outing. But he scattered those. That's an old expression, but it's true. Six innings pitched. Eight hits. Two earned runs. Zero walks. Five strikeouts. He's starting to look each start a little bit more like the old Kyle Hendricks, Jesse. Yeah, I'm just down to that first inning with him. I mean, overall, it's a it's a two something ERA after the first. Now you're not allowed to eliminate the first, but <laughs> but you can at least look at you know break it up and say this guy's fine in a playoff game if we can get him past that first inning because that's the way I'm thinking. You can't get down even two nothing in a playoff game against a guy like Scherzer, for example, right? You might lose the game two nothing. You really want to be playing from a, from ahead, so. I don't know what's going on in that first inning. Trust me, I've asked him over and over and over. He's so sick of me asking. You know, they talk about prep. I asked him about superstitions, anything. And there's really nothing different. You go back to 16, when things are going well, he's doing the same prep. So it's just about locking in earlier, Murph. And at least he's getting closer, right? Instead of four or five runs, it's one run. For example, yesterday in the first inning. But at least he's giving you the quality start, which we were not necessarily getting before. And the bullpen holds the uh, uh, nets to the two runs they already had off Kyle. Five pitchers out of the bullpen. Wilson, Ciszek, Kinsler, who pitched better than his uh, you know, box score shows the two walks. He was right there with good stuff. Uh, C.J. Edwards and Strope. Our Twitter poll, Mr. Jesse Rogers, at 9 a.m., can Pedro Strope succeed in the closer role? He's 9 out of 12 overall this year, but he's been on a nice little roll. Here's what the uh, choices were. Can Strope succeed as the closer? A, yes, he's filthy. B, so far so good. C, I don't know, uncharted territory. D, no way he's too erratic. Let's bring in EO11. Eric, refresh everyone that might not have been here at 9 a.m. What the fans say? Okay, so with the lowest percentage said uncharted territory was 16, 17% said no way, 20% saying yes, he's filthy, and then almost half, 47% saying so far, so good. Jesse Joe has far from uh, documented or declared is a better word, you know, that I, I have a closer, he's Pedro Strope, he has right. been his go-to guy you know, the last uh, week it appears, uh, do you think Joe, what, what do you think Joe's going to do there in the ninth inning? I think you're you're on the right track. I mean, it, I think he he was kind of seeing who would emerge, and 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 there's a little bit of a wave with Strope right now that maybe he's riding. 
if I was voting in that poll, I don't want to sound pessimistic. I love the guy. I think he's been great. But I also know, and I've been around a few years, he's never elevated to this status for a reason, right? They've never handed him this job. So I'm not sure. Let's say Morrow was out for the year. I'm not sure I'd feel really comfortable with Strope going through October as my closer. Am, am I wrong here? Am I, am I being no. a hater here by saying that? No. I, I'm not sure. So, but for now, I think they'll ride that wave, the dress-up of the Strope, the fans are behind him. I think, I think Madden is, is seeing this sort of wave of support for him, and he's feeling it, Strope, maybe for the first time since he's become a Cub, and he's going to ride it. I'm, I'm, not, I'm just conjecturing. I don't know for sure, but it just kind of feels like he's the guy right now. But, you know, I looked this up. I thought the numbers were even better than this, but, you know, more, since more went down, his ERA is like four because he he's given up a couple runs here and there, but he's been good in the save situations. He gave up uh, where is it in the San Diego series? He gave up a couple runs, I believe. You know, so I don't know. I don't know if he can do this for six, seven, eight weeks. I really don't. And I love the guy, but again, he's been the setup man for five years, not the closer. Um, doesn't mean he can't. I just wonder if they would be a little thin there if they had to rely on that. That's my feeling on it. Yeah. Al, Al Mora's struggles still continue a little bit. He's not playing, not starting as much. Uh, and then he swung yesterday and he seemed to hurt himself. I'm not sure what happened on that. Uh, was there anything after the game about about that? No, I got to follow up today. Like I said, there were so many crazy yeah. things in that game. But I, I asked him before yesterday's game because I was surprised to see him not start a third game in a row. Right. And he said he's fine, he's healthy, no problem. So now follow up today, see what see what he went what went down on that swing. You know that whole bottom of the order has been struggling. You know, it really struggling since the All Star break. And that's where Joe looks at the glass being half full. I was ready to look at it being half empty if they had lost yesterday. Joe will say, look, we're twelve and ten since the break, six and three in August, yet half our lineup's not hitting. Now he's probably right. Are, are half those are all those guys not going to hit for six more weeks? Probably not. Someone's going to get hot, or two or three of them, and then Rizzo might come back down to earth a little, and Zobris too. So you, you try to find that balance, but they are winning without much starting pitching, without much hitting. You know, they're at least at least hanging in there. But the good news is the Brewers are getting beat up, right? Yep. And, and they got you know, yeah, they have Atlanta for a couple more games, and Atlanta's playing red hot. Look, look what San Diego did to Philadelphia. San Diego's now beating up on the Cubs, beating up on the, <laughs> the Brewers. Brewers. They come back home. I thought for sure they'd come back home and say, you know, uh, we had a nice little road trip. Let's take a night off. And they shut out the Philadelphia Phillies who are in first place. So this is a time of year. Weird, weird stuff happens. Teams play with nothing to lose. New pitchers debut. Once in a while, you put up a 10 spot against them like the the Brewers, you know, did, did do a, a, a Padres rookie, I think, the other day, even though the Padres came back. But a lot of times you're, you're, you're sort of flummoxed by a new guy out there and a team playing loose. And you get you get hurt in a game, just like the Phillies did last night, and the Padres or the Brewers did two nights ago. You can tell Jesse's a reporter now because he would have never used the word flummoxed as a producer. No, I don't even know how to spell it, but I can use it. <laughs> never use a word. It. Never use a word you cannot spell. Well, I do it often, Murph. Sorry. <laughs> so I'll tell you something: the Jay Hay kid that was a huge hit. Now, you know they're paying him a lot of money. That doesn't mean you know. That doesn't affect you, you hope, when you come up to the plate, though I guess some people could be overwhelmed by the money. Point is, they need this guy.
And we know what he is, but when he throws in a line, it wasn't a wasn't a duck snort, wasn't a broken bat four hopper, you know, through the uh, a rocket. three and a half hole, yeah. as they say, between first and second base. But he gets the big hit to tie the game. I think people underestimate, you know, how important this uh, this guy is, Jason Hayward, when he comes up to the plate and he gets that the big hit yesterday. It really really turn things around so i guess jesse how important is jason hayward i think that's a great under sort of rated point murph and i'll tell you why with rizzo leading off he's not driving in runs from the left side schwarber and hap can strike out as much as they can get a base hit or a sack fly right i mean but hayward from the left side you got to understand when there's a tough righty on the mound you can't count on Baez every time or Almora. It's the lefties, and there's much many more righties on the mound in the starting rotation, yep. especially especially in the National League. In the Central, the Cubs have all the lefties uh, pitchers, but the other teams uh, mostly throw righties. Hayward in the middle of that lineup, because he makes contact against righties, is so important. Now, he did it against the lefty yesterday, but think about it. Without Rizzo in the middle, it's Hayward that has to do a lot of that damage from the left side. I think that's a great underrated point because he is more likely to make contact against a tough pitcher than the Schwarbers or Haps this year, and you've got to give him credit for that. And I asked about it, and I, and, and I want to make this point because I, I get this a lot, and I bet Fred and I are on opposite ends of this. You know, they uh, in to walk three. They go to Solis, so it's a different pitcher, but still, pressure's on Solis to find a strike. He goes 2-0 and on Hayward. Now, I know how people are. If Hayward had popped up on 2-0, and they went, why are you swinging? They can't find the plate. You swing at strikes. Yeah, no, you I take... agree with you on this. Okay, good. Yeah. You take advantage of the fact that that pitcher does not want to walk you with the bases loaded. If it's a hitter's pitch, now, you don't, you don't extend yourself. You pick out a zone. And this goes back to Little League, Murph. You know that. 2-0, and you pick out a spot. And I asked him about this. He kind of downplayed it. But we know what he was thinking. Fastball, lefty on lefty, fastball, you pick out a spot, you swing at that. And if, he had, if that line drive goes in the second baseman's glove, I have no problem with what he did. But yeah. I know a lot of people would have mm-hmm. been saying, no, you take a strike. No, you don't take strikes. You hit strikes if they are, if they are good strikes. You know, now you don't hit a corner strike, a curveball that fools you. You don't swing at those. But a strike down the middle on 2-0 and with the bases loader, you swing at that. 10 times out of 10, and you hope for the best, and it came through yesterday. Base hit! Cubs are going to tie it! Rizzo! Baez! 2-2! Two two. Hayward has done so much damage with men on base. Well, if you're only going to get one hit, you might as well get it with the bases loaded. <laughs> Three walks and then a solid line drive single from Hayward. What a turnaround. NBC Sports Chicago. He also made... Uh, a nice catch in the uh, ninth inning, uh, back by the curve of the well, uh, as we used to say. The wind was blowing it. He took a circle route out there, and, uh, you know, he made it look relatively easy. Uh, and that catch Bodie made in the, what, first inning on that pop uh, ball down the left field line, the, the, those are the defensive plays that get lost in the shuffle, too, Jess. Oh, yeah, and I thought the ball that uh, Hayward caught was out. I really do. Yeah. I was actually in the stands for that, so I was down low, and I thought that ball was out off the bat. So made a nice recovery there. And my, my God, Bodie, what a fielder he is. Holy cow. That was Two different positions. That was terrific. And I love what, Mer- what, what uh, uh, Madden said the other day, and I think you guys would agree. He doesn't play afraid, and I think we know what that means. I mean, yep. nobody plays truly afraid, but he's just it, it goes back to why Madden's so good with young players. 
He, he, he develops a culture where you're not afraid to make a mistake as a young player. You won't be sent back to the minors. Of course, you might be because you have options, but you, know, you won't be benched because you made a mistake, even aggressive mistake, you know, running the bases or whatever. But uh, he's just unafraid to, to go after it on offense or defense. Love the guy. Well, I think that's a bit... The biggest thing is, I think it's the aggressiveness. Because sometimes you you don't want to get overly aggressive to, because right. you're afraid you'll make that mistake. And if you get out there and you're you're free and you go on out and play, I mean, I think Javi does the same thing. I mean, uh, you know, Javi's never been afraid of it, but I think we see that with Bodie too. And Bodie, what, yeah. what he's been able to do has been amazing. Yeah, football analogy: when you play not to get hurt, you usually get hurt, yeah, right? Usually, you, you you play aggressive, you play the right way, and good things usually happen. And when they don't, your manager doesn't bury you, and that that's huge. Addison Russell went through that his rookie year, and then Bodie's feeling it as well right now. Jesse Rogers, you know I would never do this to you because I don't. I never say, do you have any nuggets? Uh, because I figure you've already given us everything good when you're Pretty holding much. back. Pretty much. But yeah. I'm going to turn it around. Ask me. Ask you for something? No. Say, Murph, do you have any nuggets? Oh, 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 I'm sorry. I can't play along. It's been a long time since I produced your show. Yeah, Murph, do you thank, have any nuggets for me? Thank God it's been a long time. Oh, <laughs> Jesse, funny you should ask. Now, uh, Montgomery, this is pretty interesting. It's sort of in the weeds, inside baseball, but I think our fans are geared up for it. They're skipping Montgomery, you know, normal five-man rotation. You pitch every fifth day with four days off. Anyone can do that math in their head. They've got two off days coming up. So the Cubs are are skipping Montgomery, which means he will start in 10 days as opposed to in, you know, five days, roughly speaking. That means four-man rotation and Montgomery back in the bullpen. It's got a lot of ramifications, Jesse. Give us the highlights. It saves his arm. But more than that, he's in a bullpen available today and for the next four, five, six, seven days, two times or three times, right? Well, I think he's going to be available to till through Tuesday at most because if he's starting Saturday, right. you kind you want to shut him back down. But okay. the key is today and tomorrow, Juan Soto, Bryce Harper. This is a little mini playoff test because Montgomery most likely would be in the pen for the playoffs. If those guys are up in a key spot, I mean, I don't think it's going to be De La Rosa. I mean, actually, it could be De La Rosa one time, but maybe even Montgomery a second time, you know, the sixth inning and the eighth inning or whatever because De La Rosa is definitely going to face lefties, not righties. So we'll see how he can do. But here's a test for Montgomery. I, I don't, I don't love the idea because now you, you, you know, he's got to warm up as a reliever, then shut him down and warm up as a starter. I kind of like him in that routine. So, that, but there's good ramifications. You rest him, and he faces these tough lefties. Here's the negative one. He would have pitched against the Brewers, who are 14 and 16 against lefties this year. Huh? They're like 20 over against righties. So now Kyle hmm. Hendricks starts hmm. on Wednesday. So they're going lefty-righty instead of they could have gone lefty-lefty. they got four lefties to choose from with two off days. So that's the negative implication. But you're not wrong. He needs a little bit of a break. They're going to need him, whether it be starting or relieving. He's going to be a big part of this team down the stretch, talking about Montgomery. So there's more positives than negatives, for sure. Hey, Jesse, as we uh, wrap it up here, uh, Rick from San Diego has been holding. Won't have time to punch him up at his question. What's going on with Smiley, left-handed starting pitcher, coming off arm surgery a year ago? Theo signed him to a two-year deal. Rotation-type guy this year, they said, from the beginning, would be bonus, would be gravy. Have him around next year, maybe in the rotation. Will he be available, do you think, in September? 
Yeah, it, it, I thought maybe August, but it might be September now. It, he slowed down. The mm-hmm. stuff wasn't as good as you'd want mm-hmm. in his simulated game. He's kind of in neutral right now. It, nothing, nothing bad, but nothing good. So instead of August, maybe September. That's the best I could tell you right now. Great job, Jesse. Anything else there? Fred, you want to hear any nuggets? Or we all no, set? I'm good. Uh, Jesse always gives us everything he's got. I used them all up. Every nugget I got. <laughs> Jesse, great job as always. Thanks for uh, always being there for Murph and Fred and for the listeners Saturday morning. Thanks, man. If they believe it or not, I do love talking to both of you guys every week. <laughs> hey, guys. Thanks, Bodie. Jess. Bodie of you. Bodie of you. <laughs> all right. It's Jesse. It's Murph. It's Fred. If you're on hold, we'll get to you. We uh, have Bears talk in a half hour. Patrick Finley from the Sun-Times. Busy day, busy show, and you're busy, too, so we're glad you're with us. ESPN 1000. Mike Murphy, Fred Hubner, back together on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Chance to walk it off against Neil Ramirez here in the ninth. And when he hits it hard, then it goes far. It does! Deep to the win! Watching him go the opposite field is a rarity, but when he gets it, they stay got. And that was a rocket out of the park. Daniel Polka once again. He walks it off for the only run tonight. It's Polka time at Sox Park. Fred dancing around the table, looking good. And the, the most amazing <laughs> thing, uh, you know, about that whole situation, the White Sox, they, you had Carlos Rodon go eight, <coughs> eight uh-huh. strong innings. They couldn't get him any runs. And then Polka comes up. In uh, the bottom of the ninth, hits that one, and uh, it was um, it was it was nice to see. Nice to give them something to cheer for yeah. a little bit. The Sox fans are out there, and uh, I think Rodon is starting to solidify himself as a number one for the Southsiders. And that when you're the third pick in the draft, you got to be a number one, and that's what he's going to be. Well, if the arm, uh, you know, the old what the old one is Bell, and if the arm issues are behind him, that would be fantastic for the future of the rebuild to have this guy as your horse, and then everybody else falls in line, yep. two, three, four in the rotation. Guys that maybe you were saying, can he be a one? Can he be? You already got your you one. You got your one. That, yep. that'd be, and the bullpen did a nice job also. I tell you, this guy Fry, uh, he got the win. But he's been he's been good, the lefty. Yeah. You know, he throws hard. Very nice. Bears talk coming up at the top of the hour. But I wanted to quick uh, read a little note we got here regarding Stan Makita. Uh, Fred, uh, everybody knows Peter Longo, the uh, uh, yep. king of clubs. You see him a lot on Channel 9 there with Dan Rowan on Sunday nights, I think it is, with the trick shots and the golf tips. Great guy, Chicago guy, Peter Longo. Sent me a little note this week. He said, Stan Makita, Murph, just wanted to let you know that none, I'm sorry, I misspoke, of course, uh, that all of those uh, stories about him, you know, giving back to the community were all true. Stan became a golf pro for a short time after retiring from hockey. And I got to know him quite well. We played golf together. I even was the MC at a Stan Makita roast once down in Arizona. Anyway, Murph, I asked Stan to appear at celebrity uh, fundraisers about four or five times, charity events that I was involved in, Peter Longo says. He always came, never for a charge either, just said, when can I be there? What time do you want me there? And, you know, 
everyone knows and remembers uh, or has read about and seen highlights or, you know, I saw him, you saw him, Fred, what a great player he was. But it's just nice to also remind everybody that he was a terrific guy off the ice also, you know? Well, I mean, I got to tell the story, and, and people are all saying all the great things about Stan, and they're, they're fine. Stan had a uh, sense of humor, too. It wasn't funny to me at the time uh, because I was a, a reporter trying to get sound out of him in, in Blackhawks locker rooms when I was working in sports phone. And every time Stan Makita saw a microphone come out, he knew it was being recorded onto a little audio cassette set, which was what we had uh, over at Sports Phone, and we were going to use them on our recorded message programs. And every time Stan saw the microphone, he would make sure every other word was a swear word so vile and vulgar that we couldn't use them. Nah. Everybody around him was <laughs> laughing. <laughs> Me, as a guy who was trying to get sound to use on our updates, not uh, laughing so much. Yeah. But Stan was an amazing player. I had to cover him the last couple of years of his career, and he would do it all the time. He would talk to the reporters. He'd be giving them great sound, and then he would see a microphone get stuck in there, <laughs> and he'd make sure that every other word was a word that we could not use, and it would make any sense cut bleeping it all because it was like bleep 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 and uh so stan had a sense of humor too and is uh late in his career with the blackhawks tremendous tremendous player one of the all-time greats uh in blackhawk history maybe the greatest yeah you know? and i know i saw bobby play but let's go to uh craig in brookfield uh wants to jump in and talk about stan uh, good morning craig in brookfield great great to hear from you guys you know uh Mike, I'm also an alum of Forest Road, uh, so I enjoy when you uh, bring up, you know, mention things. No, you know what? The Thank thing you. I need to say today, <clears throat> day late and dollar short, because, you know, you guys were talking about Stan the other day. But one question I have for both of you, and I've asked many people. Now, the great Lloyd Pettit, who uh, broadcasted through a lot of Stan Makita's career, you know, his call was always... A shot in the goal, and I have never heard another broadcaster say goal. They always say score, and it doesn't matter what level, doesn't matter what network, doesn't matter what you're listening to. It's always a shot in the score. You never hear anybody say Appreciate a shot in the goal. Appreciate the call. I think everyone wants to do it their own way. Uh, out in the uh, bleachers in the old days, we were shot in a beer. Yeah. Uh, you know, because that's what we were looking for right I, about then. You hear people say goal, but you don't hear them say shot in a goal. Yeah. Uh, as, as much as, and you know, uh, Lloyd Pettit had some of the greatest of all time. His, my, the fate, my favorite Lloyd Pettit uh-huh. was, we lose a puck and gain a face off. Yeah. We'll be back after this. And boom. You'd go to a commercial ad that. And you can still hear a lot of uh, Lloyd Pettit when uh, you listen to Pat Foley, uh-huh. who grew up idolizing in the yeah. North suburbs and listening. And why not? To the gr- Yeah, really. Yeah. Why not? Lloyd Pettit was the best. I had one uh, occasion, one chance to uh, meet Stan. I was at a Blackhawks game, I don't know, four or five years ago. Somehow I was up in one of the uh, booths, the suites up there, sure. and uh, Stan was there. Stan uh-huh. was in our uh, booth, and you know, he's, he and his wife were there, and it's very intimidating. You know, to just you don't want to just walk up, and then he he sits down next to me. You know, he wanted to rest his yeah. legs. You know, those little swing. You know, eight or twelve seats across yep. two runs. So I go, hey, Stan. You know, and you don't want to say, "Hey, Stan." You know, uh, 
Oh, what was your favorite goal? Uh-huh. Stan, uh, who was the toughest guy you ever played against? You know, right. so it sort of puts the pressure on you. You want to talk to him. You don't want to say anything like inane and like he's heard him. So I don't know why, but this is at the United Center. And I used to go, as we all did, Fred, back to the old, old stadium. stadium. Yep. Oh, man, that place, the, the big barn was the best. The big uh, Al Melgard on that big organ, a big uh-huh. Hammond organ, and he'd be pumping that out. If you'd get to the game, like, if you'd get to the Blackhawks right when the gates opened an hour and a half before the game, there'd be nobody in there, and they'd be playing it, and it would just echo. Your teeth would rattle. But they were famous, We I later learned. The uh, old uh, stadium had a very small rink, uh-huh. which was how they sort of built, like, the uh, Olympia in Detroit and the original Boston Gardens and the original uh, Madison Square Garden. The rink's width was very, very not wide across at all, like the United Center. Right. So for some reason, I thought, I got to ask. So I said, Stan, what was the difference back at the old United, at the old stadium right. when it was, you know, only whatever, sit 80 feet across instead of 110 or, you know. And he looks at me and goes, no one's ever asked me that. Yeah. And he did like 10 minutes of the different strategies involved at the larger ice rink, the smaller. And I suppose, thank goodness, it's something that, and he just talked and what a. Sure. What a wonderful fella. No, he was a great guy. Absolutely a wonderful guy. Last couple of years have been really tough with dementia and things like that. And uh, so Stan passing away this week. Hey, the PGA Championship's going out right now. Uh, Gary Woodland, your leader, he has a one-shot lead. He's at 10 under par, one shot better than Kevin Kisner. Two back, Brooks Kepnick and Ricky Fowler. Three off the pace, a list of four golfers, including Dustin Johnson, Charles Schwartzel, and uh, Thomas Peters. Uh, where is Tiger? Where is Tiger? I think Tiger's uh, five or six shots back. What's off up, the pace. He's at four under. He's at four under par, so he is six shots off the pace. Uh, the PGA Championship update brought to you by the PGA Tour Superstore, a golf store so big you may want a caddy. The PGA Superstore. Uh, the PGA Tour Superstore make that. It has the largest selection of golf and tennis equipment and apparel you've ever seen. Don't miss the state-of-the-art simulators, indoor practice bays with video playback and huge putting green. Whether you're a master of the game or just starting out, their certified fitters can custom fit you for the perfect gear to improve your game. The PGA Tour Superstore, two locations, Chicago to serve you your golf and tennis needs. They find them in Downers Grove and in Schaumburg and coming soon to Vernon Hills this fall. Right now, fifth caller at 312-332-3776. You will get a $100 gift card to the PGA PGA Tour Superstore. Fifth caller, 312-332-3776. Cool. There's talk coming up. Top of the hour, Patrick Finley. uh, Chicago Sun-Times. We'll get back, of course, on the baseball beat from now until noon also and fred when we return i have a survey you know my favorite my favorite cocktail only on saturdays i get home lovely dan and i she'll make something for herself uh my ties has been her new thing okay what you know we have one drink a week we're you know high really really wild and crazy Uh we're the funsters i always tell her when we have our one but me beef theater Old school classic gin martini, couple blue cheese olives, and one of those onion cocktail onions, right. you those know, on the, on the spear. Yep. But got a little uh, survey when we come back about gin drinkers. Okay. All right. And I have a, we're going to break the rule. I got one Roquan Smith. 
uh, mention. Uh, it won't be what you've heard a million times. It'll be something different. All okay. And more. And vote right now. Who's back first is our Twitter poll. This half our who's back first. A, Chris Bryant. B, you Darvish. C, they'll both be back on September 1st. Vote now at ESPN 1000. Bum, bum, bum. Crank it up there. Crank it up, yo. About 10 minutes away from Bears Talk, Patrick Finley's Sun-Times guy. Do not miss it. I'm Mike Murphy's Fred Hubner every Saturday, 9 till noon. Uh, EO 11, Eric Ostrowski, let's bring you in quick what the fans say for our 1030 Twitter poll, which is uh, A, B, or C. Who's back first? Chris Bryant? You Darvish? All right, they're both back the same day when the rosters expand to 40. Uh, the 25-man, rather, expands uh, on September 1st. What the fans say, EO? All right, so 25% and 25% say you, Darvish, and both will be back September 1st, and then 50% mm. say Chris Bryant will be back first. Well, we did have reports from Jesse earlier today that Chris Bryant was, what? Uh, taking, he picked up a bat and he was taking swings. Was that off the tee, I think? Off Je- the tee. Yeah, so yeah. still a long way to go, but... One way or the other, they will both be, I'm sure, around on uh, September 1st. Find out then. I, you know, how the, much the shoulders back. I mean, I just think it's going to be tough if his shoulder's not 100% for him to come back. And mm-hmm. uh, you, you saw that he he lost all of his power. He's got 11 homers this season. Yeah. He had just two, I think, after he, after coming back from it the first time. So uh, he had know. two immediately, which was interesting. And then he hit, didn't hit another one before he went on the DL again. So David Bodie. With at least the uh, you know ch- chance to hit some home runs, he's, got, he's definitely a better you know I'll say this better fielder than than Brian. How about that uh, velocity? He's well, got that, that high velocity. Was he right? number two in the league the other That's day at say. least uh, on exit velo? That speed off the ball. Yeah. Uh, when you hit the ball, but he hit a little squibber about ten feet in front of the plate uh, the other day. And the uh, first thing Jim Deshays says, oh, "That's going to lower the his average on the exit velo." Yeah, that's that's the reason. I, that's the reason I'm not a big exit velo <laughs> guy because of all this stuff. Uh, I don't know if you saw this, but the uh, top eleven home runs on exit velo. Yeah. Um, nine of them are Giancarlo Stanton. The other two are Gary Sanchez and. Um, okay. Aaron Judge. Yeah. So Stanton hit one the other day, right. 121.7. Yikes. Yeah. Pretty good. Got out of there quickly. So, Fred, every... Uh, I'm, sure it's, I'm, sure, I'm sure that it's all Aaron Boone's uh, doing. Every Saturday, I pick uh, over at the old uh, train station there when I leave here. And it is an old train station. I pick up... It's, yeah, it's, a, it's horrible. It's been there forever. I know. They are finally finding funding to upgrade the old uh, Union Station. Anyway, I always pick up just for something to read on the long ride out to the Burbs. It's called Investor uh, Business uh, Daily. Uh-huh. IBD Weekly. And, you know, it's it's a legitimate update. You're good as, lucky it's not IBS. Yeah. Irritable bowel syndrome. You don't and, want uh, that. It's a very don't legitimate, want to pick up that. Very legitimate uh, paper, you know, with all types of uh, business stuff and world stuff. So I'm reading this thing here. Uh, gin drinkers. All right. There's uh-huh. a little side That would thing. be you. That's why you were. That's yeah. why, you know, see, I would see gin drinkers and I would just skip it because I'm not a gin drinker. Well, I am. I'm a craft beer drinker. Beef eater martini apple, uh-huh. school, two olives, and one uh, 
uh, onion, you know, uh, a cocktail onion. So here, Fred, you're good at sight reading. I would never do this to almost anybody else. Except I have a hard time saying PGA Tour Superstar. Here, gin, an expensive habit. All right. But, uh, One of my here. favorite songs from the 70s, Cold Gin by Kiss. Now, before you read this, just let me say for the fifth time, this is a very legitimate mainstream, you know, business newspaper. It's not like the, sure it is. Not like the Onion. No. All right. No, which I've right. never picked up. Um, gin, an expensive habit. Gin drinkers spend the most when drunkenly shopping online. A new study has found those who drink the spirits spend an average of $82.40 during tipsy buying sessions, according to research by the Archstone Recovery Center. Rum and vodka drinkers were the next highest spenders, mm -hmm. while those who guzzle scotch spend the least. Really? It is more bad news for gin drinkers uh -uh. who were previously found to be more likely to be psychopaths than other drinkers. <laughs> well, well, I guess we know now the answer. I'm reading this last week. What's Murph's problem? It's, he drinks gin. All right, so it's a legitimate business. You know, they got all the charts and graphs uh -huh. here. How to uh, buy a call, sell a call, a covered call. Go gin drinkers are psychopaths. And, a, and all of a sudden, the last <laughs> sentence... You know, I'm already a little dubious. Oh, what you're going to spend more if you're if you're drunk buying, drunk dialing, and you're buying, you're going to spend more money because you've been drinking gin than yeah, uh, than, you're, you than you're drinking uh, uh, bourbon or. Uh, and then the last sentence. It's more bad news also for gin drinkers who were uh, previously found to be more likely to be psychopaths than other drinkers. There you go. What they base that on? I, I don't know. Certainly not me. Uh, it, it was pretty interesting, though. And so. that was another Murph <laughs> moment. Uh, Easy-handed when I get home, my lovely Dana. Easy-handed on I, the beef eater. I'm a craft beer guy, so there's a place <laughs> crafted 1979 out in uh, Mokina. A perfect place to stop, pick up a couple of craft beers before yeah, I go home. Yeah. yeah. Before I hit the fire game tonight. I've got a little Al's over there in Mokina. There you go. My favorite place. All right, uh, Bears talk next. One hour to go. It's been busy. And we'll get back on the baseball beat after some Bears talk. Stick around. Back in a flash. It's ESPN 1000. Number three, Mike Murphy, Fred Huebner, one minute away from Patrick Finley talking bears from the Sun Times. Fred, the best thing about the last two TV, uh, the production of the telecasts, uh, these guys are terrific. Adam. Well, actually, uh, the first one was a network game, so oh, only, okay. only this past game. So we just saw Adam for the first right. time, this third, Adam Amin mm -hmm. and Jim Miller. Yep. Uh, among all the uh, great things about you know what the best thing is? No Sam Rosen. You well, like you know, it, but you listen, I'm an old guy. I'm an old white guy. Sam Rosen's an old white guy. He's older than me. So, you know, yeah, you gotta, you, I was holding out hope for him. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't he like calls him great hockey. Okay. Know. All right. I, um, <laughs> yeah, I, I know a lot of people didn't like Sam. There's, I don't, I only criticize certain announcers okay. that I really don't like. All right. So. Vote right now. Which Bears position worries you the most? Vote at ESPN 1000. A, B, or C. Which Bears position worries you the most? Now, if you want to talk about Dick Stockton, I will criticize how you'd like. <laughs> Stockton? Yeah. Uh, defensive line worries you the most? Linebackers uh, worry you the most? Or defensive backs worry you the most? 
which bears position. Worries you the most. You're not listening to all of the above, huh? At ESPN. No. Okay. But uh, great piece today, Patrick Finley. Uh, Not talking about the holdout. Defense could use. No doubt about it. Roquan Smith. Let's go over to the Sun-Times. Bring in Patrick Finley on a busy Saturday. We appreciate your time. And our listeners, all your fans appreciate your time. Murph here. Hey, Patrick. Hey, how are you guys? Doing great, Patrick. We're doing great. Like your pace today. Uh, the defense could use them. You're not talking uh, about really the uh, holdout or all that. But Thank God. You're pointing out some key plays, which you can relate back to us now if you want, in Thursday's game when a uh, speed middle linebacker and inside linebacker could have helped scrape a few things up or prevent a touchdown. Right, Patrick? Yeah, John Kimu, uh, particularly on uh, on the Bengals' first drive, there's a little five-yard hitch route to Joe Mixon there, uh, the Bengals running back. Mm-hmm. And Kimu had the sideline to his left, so he had the extra tackler there to help him. And Mixon just straight-armed him and kept going and then spun around Adrian Amos for a touchdown. And it occurred to me that that was really the first time we've seen in-game action exactly what the Bears are missing with uh, Roquan Smith gone. You know, Danny Trevathan didn't play either because he's a veteran. So you could argue that, you know, Timu, you know, might not be on the field all the time anyway uh, uh, when the season starts. But it's really the first time we saw, okay, Roquan Smith, the sideline to sideline tackler that the Bears think he is, uh, if he's out there, that doesn't happen. And uh, if he were in camp, he most certainly would have been out there on the first drive. Uh, of the second preseason game. Yeah, you know, Patrick, my biggest problem, we know what what John Timu is. John Timu is a backup linebacker, but yeah. uh, Adrian Amos is our starting safety, and he looked worse than John Timu on that play, so that aggravated me even more on that play. <laughs> or like Fred said yesterday on the Friday show, he said, you got two arms, use them, wrap them use up. Use them both. Jeez. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you know, what you worry about with Amos is, you know, he had a really good season last year. And depending on, you know, some of the, you know, uh, analytic websites that you look at, that, you know, thought that he was one of the best two or three safeties in football. And I'm still shocked. Not. I know. I'm still shocked by those. But but before then, he was just kind of a guy for two years. Yeah. And, and so you wonder when you see him make mistakes like that, you know, uh, not to be too dramatic here, but which Amos is the, is the real one? Is it the guy who played out of his mind last year or the guy who was just okay in his first two seasons? Mm-hmm. And you know, the, Bear, the Bears like him. The Bears think that he's a good compliment to Eddie Jackson, who can uh, go get the ball. Uh, and Amos, theoretically, is more of a tackler, but that certainly didn't show the other night. Patrick Finley, uh, Fred, let's stay on the uh, linebacking crew. The I'm bit- sorry, I just had to get the Adrian Amos thing off my chest. I don't know. <laughs> oh, my God. It's been like three years I've been hounding him because he doesn't wrap up. But anyway, okay, back well, to the linebacker. When you were on hold or phoning in, you might have heard the Fred uh, wanting a fourth uh, option to the Twitter poll, uh, which is on the board right now. Which Bears position worries you the most, A, B, or C? Fred said, what about D, all of the, all above. the above? A, defensive line, B, the linebackers, or C, the defensive backs. So you got the uh, the Bears play the 3-4, which is sort of bizarre because uh, Leonard Floyd is always on the line. It still looks like a 4-3 to me, but what do I know? I'm just a fan. I'm not an expert. But the depth chart was going to be this. Left outside linebacker, Aaron Lynch. This is a month or two ago, right? Left inside linebacker, Roquan Smith. 
right inside linebacker Danny Trevathan and right outside linebacker Leonard Floyd. All reports and what, uh, you know, you and the guys say that Leonard Floyd looks healthy and fast. And Danny Trevathan, I know there have been some stats. It might have been your uh, buddy uh, Adam Johns, uh, uh, one of the fellows, was uh, talking about when Trevathan's in the game uh, last year, uh, you know, or maybe it was even Jim Miller, I'm sorry, during the broadcast. But Trevathan really is a you know, terrific player, at least most people say. But without Aaron Lynch, and now you don't have Roquan Smith, so the linebacking crew, how do you evaluate it now, and how do you evaluate it, say, opening day? The outside linebackers concern me more than the inside linebackers do. I think if you've seen Nick Kwiatkowski uh, this camp, he's looked really good, and you know he's not going to be their everyday starter. It's going to be Roquan Smith. But you know until he gets here and, uh, and until further notice, he's getting all the reps. I think that that's good for their inside linebacker depth and I think, you know, if history is any indication, Trevathan's going to miss a couple of games this year because of something, whether it's an injury or suspension that's happened the last two years. Uh, Roquan Smith, to, to expect him to stay healthy through 16 games when he's having an incomplete offseason, I think is foolish. So to have that depth there is important. The outside linebacker thing is, is, is a little bit alarming. I mean, you look at Aaron Lynch, the guy they brought in uh, to give them a pass rush. He essentially hasn't had a training camp. Uh, he was hurt, I believe, on the second day uh, of training camp with a hamstring and has yet to participate since. You know, he's out there watching in a bucket hat, but that's, huh. that's, that's not good. And, no. and he had gotten banged up at two separate points during the off-season program. And, you know, we're just getting to know the guy here, but you do have to wonder whether there's um, a, a history there of injury uh, that, uh, you know, the Bears have been down that road before, you know, especially the last couple mm. of years. So I don't know if you can count on him at this point. And if you can't, then you've got Leonard Floyd, who's coming back from knee surgery. You've got Sam Osho, and you've got Kylie Fitz, and you've got Isaiah Irving. And, you know, I'm not sure that that's enough firepower to go get at the quarterback every week for 16 weeks. Uh, That position concerns me greatly. Floyd looked as fluid as we've seen him uh, in the preseason game on Thursday night. They'd really been taking it easy uh, with his recovery uh, and just easing him back in. So I presume he's going to be healthy, but he's another guy who's yet to play three-quarters of a season healthy. You know, the the Isaiah Irving, I mean, he looked good in the first game, and obviously it was the first game. It was a Hall of Fame game. Didn't mean a whole heck of a lot, but for guys like that to get an opportunity, he looked like he was quick off the line, and Fitz struggled in the first half of the Hall of Fame game, looked better in the second. Again, he's going up against third, second, third, and fourth stringers. But do you think uh, Fitz is a guy, no, he's a guy they drafted. Do they think that he's a good guy that can actually help them out this year? Yeah, he's been really good in camp. Uh, he's somebody, I was a little disappointed by his performance Thursday night. I'm not sure he got a, a, a quarterback hurry at any point during the rushes that he made. Uh, but yeah, no, he's looked good. And he's somebody who did have an injury history in college. That's probably why he fell as low as he did in, into the sixth round. And the Bears think that he can help. And, you know, I'd argue to you that he's one of their more important players at mm-hmm. this point. Because if he can just prove himself to be a league average outside linebacker coming out of camp, that would be gigantic because this is a team that's really worried about their depth at that position. I honestly think that their you know, backup outside linebacker might not even be on the team yet. I think that that's one of those positions sure. they may go hunting for on cut day uh, if they can't get production out of Lynch or, or, or Fitz or, or, or Irving. Fitz and Irving have looked really good the last uh, you know, week or two, but Irving picked up an ankle injury at, at the exact wrong time, too. 
Always appreciate a few minutes uh, with Patrick Finley from the Sun-Times. Let's go to the other side of the ball quick here, fellas. You know, I, I think about, you know, Trubisky. What do you, you know, we could have a million surveys and polls. What do you project? What's going to happen? Is he getting better? You know, oh, my God, it drives you crazy. But I just look back at last year, fellas. They had no wide receivers. And you had an offensive coordinator who was handcuffed by the head coach, Fox. So... I don't know how anyone can even evaluate from last year to this year with wide receivers now that are purportedly to be, you know, good, certainly hopefully better than what they had last year, and an offense that guys like you and everybody uh, try to relate to the fans like us, Patrick, that it's going to be innovative and who knows what's going to happen and opening day. How is it even possible, I guess is my distilling down the question uh, effort here, Patrick, how is it even possible to even look back at last year and now look at this year and try to evaluate what Trubisky is going to do, knowing that he had no one to throw to and they didn't want to throw the ball anyway. Yeah, it's hard. And, and, you know, the flip side of that is true, too, is that, you know, you spent you know, most of last year trying to get him experience uh, in a system, and, and, and all he did was, you know, he got his head kicked in uh, for a lot of the time, not because of his own fault. And, and then at the end of the season, they changed his offense. So uh, I'm not sure the experiences he had last year, good or bad, are, yeah. are too incredibly relevant here, other than the fact that, that he's not a rookie anymore. And, you know, that's the best thing about rookies is that they, they become, uh, they, what is it, <laughs> the best thing about freshmen is they become sophomores. Uh-huh, right, I yeah. mean, he's, a, he, he's a sophomore now, and, and there is some value to that. This offense is completely different than it was before. The, the verbiage is, uh, you know, a new language. And, uh, and the scheme and, and, and what they're going to ask of him, he's going to be able to run football uh, when he wants. He's going to uh, be able to throw the ball all around the field. And, you know, that's not something we saw Last year, I mean, keep in mind that the last time Trubisky started a preseason game before the other night, he handed the ball off nine times in a row in the yeah. final preseason game last year. And then they had to bring him in at the end because Connor Shaw got hurt. But yeah, that was, I mean, the previous, um, you know, the previous regime, and they had their reasons. And, and, you know, not all of them were dumb reasons, but the, pre- the previous regime thought it, it was best uh, to keep. Mitch uh, in a conservative offense, uh, at least until the very end. And that's because they were trying uh-huh. to win games, and that's because they wanted to keep their jobs. Sure. That's completely sure. understandable. Yeah. Uh, but this is going to be different. I mean, they, they threw a 40-yard pass attempt on Mitch's first play of the game Thursday night for a reason, and that's because Matt Nagy wants the world to know that they're going to take shots. And, you know, you couldn't say that last year about the Bears, and part of that was because I'm not sure they had a receiver that I would want to throw a 40-yard pass ah. to. Anyway. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, there were two things. Uh, one thing that uh, Mitch Trubisky said and one thing that Matt Nagy said after the game that actually were encouraging to me, and I think they should be to all Bears fans who want to see something. Mitch said, the coach is going to keep allowing us to go deep. That's good news because we didn't see it last year. They didn't have much time. They didn't have protection. They didn't have receivers to catch the ball, as you pointed out. But also, you had Matt Nagy say that, if you play the check down game all the time, it's easier for the defense. Well, what did the Bears do all year last year because they had no receivers? They had Mitch playing the check down game and it made it easier for the defense. We're not going to see that this year, hopefully. And I think Bears fans should be encouraged by both of those statements. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> their coaching search, 
the purpose of their coaching search was to go get somebody who could drag them kicking and screaming into, <laughs> in, into the new century offensively. That's right. And then the whole reason that they broke the bank this offseason was to bring in those weapons. I mean, Allen Robinson, Taylor Gabriel, they drafted Anthony Miller. I mean, paid a pretty big price for it, too. I mean, next year's second-round pick. Um, if they don't produce, if they don't allow them to run the offense that they want, um, that's a giant problem because yeah. they've invested a lot of time, money, resources, and whatnot uh, in that. And you know, if you know, in terms of litigating last year, you know, I don't know how Dal Loggins and John Fox were supposed to play. You know, when they lose Cam Meredith and Kevin White, and you know, before week two, and, and the front office doesn't really do anything to replace them. Yeah. Um, but you know, but you know, the question you asked at the end of the year was. Do we know who Mitch really is? And the answer was no, and that's because the people around him weren't league average. Right. Hey, uh, a question I'm going to pose to you that doesn't really have a good or, or obvious answer, so I apologize up front. Can, can a guy, can a, can a receiver get better hands as he matures? In other words, you ever seen a guy that had bricks for hands and then he can start catching it? I was at... Uh, Bur- uh, Bourbonnet, just as a fan, 13 days ago, the Monday, uh, a week ago, Monday. And as I mentioned uh, to Fred and on the air last week, you know, there's, there's a, uh, a nice uh, route, uh, Kevin White. He's down at the back of the end zone, the back line. Then he cuts across near the goalpost. And uh, number four, who's great at practice. But anyway, he lays it right in his hands, up a little above his head. It goes right through his hands. And right in front of me, coincidentally, was the offensive uh, uh, coordinator. Is it Hel- Helfrich, uh, whatever? Yeah, and, Mark, Mark Helfrich. And, yeah, Mark, thank you. And he jumps up in the air did like a 360 and landed like you know he was actually hopping mad if i can use that phrase and then you know we see it again so not to bury the kid just to ask a philosophical general question have you ever seen a guy whose hands get better if he's still allowed in the league to keep playing i think incrementally better yeah i mean i I think in general if you have if you're a good pass catcher, you're a good pass catcher, and if you're a bad pass catcher, you're a bad pass catcher. But you know, coaches certainly think that they can improve. Otherwise, you know, Jordan Howard wouldn't be trying to catch 200 balls <laughs> off the pitching machine every day. Uh. Um, yeah, I mean, as for Kevin White, I, I, re- I actually remember the play you're talking about, and, and then he had that drop on third and nine last night uh, or two nights ago. I'm not really worried about the drop in a preseason game or a drop in practice. Mm-hmm. I'm worried about it staying in his head. And, and this is a guy who has been very open about the fact that he's his worst uh, critic, You know that he beats himself up for days when he makes mistakes. And the coaching staff's trying to get him to stop thinking that way. And to me, that's a really compelling conversation piece because you've got Mike Furry, their receivers coach, who used to play, I think, for the Lions in the NFL. Yeah saying, no, we told him that he can't beat himself up. I will, I will critique him. He can't critique himself. And, and I asked him, I said, how in the world are you going to legislate a person's personality? I mean, this is the way Kevin is. And, and, it's, you, know, and you can tell him, okay, we're on to the next play. And Mitch Trubisky tells him that all the time. And Cody Whitehair, of all people, tells him that all the time because they're also self-critical guys. So they know what he's going through. Um, yeah, so to me, the question isn't even will his hands get better? It's when he drops the ball, is that going to affect him on the next play and the next play and the next play? And if it does this preseason, we might not have a regular season to, to get that answer because this is a guy who's very clearly their fourth receiver. Anything they get out of him will be found money, I think, huh. in the regular season. But he's, but he's also got to play well enough to make the team. You mentioned- oh, hold on. oh, excuse me, Fred. Say that again. 
He's got to play well enough to make the team. I mean, they're guaranteed. His contract is guaranteed, or right. he has guarantees in his contract mm-hmm. that they're paying him whether he makes it or not. Sure. So that is working in his favor. But okay. you know, but to sit here and say that you know he is for sure a lead pipe lock to make the Bears, I I don't feel comfortable saying that yet. I, I think they need some performance out of him, whether it's in practice or in game. You mentioned Cody Whitehair. Um, one of these days he'll get the snaps right, or maybe he doesn't have to. Uh, is it going to be James Daniel at center? Are they going to move Whitehair back to, to guard? Do you see that possibility? Because obviously they like what James Daniels could do. He's a guy they drafted before Anthony Miller. They drafted him with their second pick, and uh, he played. He took 44 snaps the other day at center. Do you think there's a possibility he may even be able to start at center for the Bears and they move Whitehair over? Yeah, yeah. Their offensive line coach said, you know, last week, hey, we're going to play him at center this week. And mm-hmm. and that was kind of a, a sneaky big news story coming out of camp because the Bears, you know, had said since the moment they drafted him that he was going to try and win that left guard job. I, I think we all suspected that if he was one of their best five linemen, then they'd probably reevaluate it uh, afterwards. And, and, and I think that, that that possibility certainly exists. Eric Cush is a nice player. Eric Cush. Uh, is somebody really liked in the locker room. He's the best barbecuer they have, I believe. There you go. Um, but, you know, I'm not sure that Eric Cush, who's kind of a lifelong journeyman, Eric Cush is not standing in the way of James Daniels playing. It's just if Daniels can figure it out himself here in the next couple of weeks, uh, you know, like I said, if he's one of the best five, I, I sure. think the Bears are going to start him. And, and it looks like the Bears think he's more comfortable at center. Yeah. And if that's the case, you know, I mean, I think two of the last three years here, the Bears have moved uh, their offensive linemen around literally the week of the open. Yeah. Uh, you know, whether it was Kyle Long at right tackle or Cody Whitehair at guard when Josh Sitton signed. You know, in theory, you don't want to do that. And, you know, the question for me is, is that if Daniels, can he be impressive enough that the Bears give him a week or two working with the starters uh, versus uh, deciding it on the Wednesday of uh, the Packers game? Hey, great to visit with you. I always appreciate Patrick Finley. Sometimes your personal time. Oh, I uh, I have one scoop here. You're welcome to use it. I just found this out through inside sources. Uh, Marcus <laughs> Cooper Sr.'s uh, uh, son contacted him and asked him to take the S and the R off the shirt so no one knows that he's... The, no, that was mean-spirited. <laughs> I did. I laughed though. So, uh, yeah. so, so you get that. Yo, no, I don't. We joke about. We actually joke about the seniors and the juniors because you know, you know, especially with the seniors, it's like you know what? If your son was playing, I think we'd know. I think he'd be a little undersized for the NFL at this point. Yeah. Well, if it's, no yeah. if it's hey, that's my pop, then you don't mind the senior on there. Otherwise, oh no, no, I'm not, I'm not related to that guy. I never heard of him. I don't know what the hell. All right. You said it, not me. Well, you know, hopefully, we don't have to worry about that much longer. Patrick, always a pleasure to steal a few of your uh, minutes of your personal time all your listeners and the fans and, and murph and we appreciate it thanks man hey Thank uh, thanks patrick patrick finley does a great job yeah hopefully we don't have to worry about uh, the marcus cooper senior uh and much longer hopefully they're take they're unstitching uh that jersey as we speak right, because right i'm sorry uh, you know he, what he did last year not getting into the end zone he just he can't oh. stop anybody no. uh, you know i understand they brought him over He's I, I was a, asking this question the yeah. other day who would you, what would you rather have as a general manager? A general manager that went out and signed players and brought them in and then said, you know what, I made a mistake, I'm going to get rid of these guys. Or a general manager that brought guys in or drafted guys and said, well, you know what, i got to keep them because I put out yeah, the money to bring them in. That's what I'd rather have the guy that says, I screwed up, I'm going to cut bait and let him go. 
sometimes guys are worried about their own jobs and they hesitate to do that. I want the guy that's going to say, yeah. I messed up, this guy sucks, and he's gone. Well, that's why I wonder, I have uh, Patrick repeat when he said, you know, Kevin White may not make the team. Now, that was what? That was his first draft pick, wasn't it? Uh, yes, I, believe, I think yeah. it was. You know, and uh, I, Ryan Pace. I thought that they should have let Kevin White go last year, yeah. and then right after I said that, Cam Meredith went down, so I said, okay, we'll stick with it. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you watch Hard Knocks, but Hard Knocks was on this week, the very first week of Hard Knocks training camp with the Cleveland Browns. At the very beginning, they talked about Josh Gordon, and they said, well, the problem with Josh Gordon is he has missed 43 of the last 48 games for the Cleveland Browns. And they said, oh, that's that's interesting, because Kevin White has missed 43 in the last 48 games for the Bears. And what Josh Gordon has that Kevin White doesn't have is Josh Gordon can catch the ball. Josh Gordon can go deep. Josh Gordon can play when he's on the field. Uh, His problem is just staying on the field. Fred wanted a quick play, a soundbite. Didn't get a lot of play this week, but uh, Brian Erlacher, uh, terrific. He had a wonderful uh, speech. And uh, here was just a 15-second snippet that I think all Bears fans, young or or old, uh, want to hear again. The most coveted position in pro football for a defensive player is to play middle linebacker for the Chicago Bears. Just think about it. The history of this position is unmatched by any other team. Bill George, Dick Buckus, Mike Singletary. And now I can barely say it, me. I, I wanted to show. I thought he was going to say it, and and I can barely say it. Brian Erlacher. I thought yeah. he was going to go third person because it would have fit. It would have fit right there, but yeah. he didn't. He said me. Bill George is the name that I'm sure 95 percent of our uh, listeners never heard of him, other right. than through re- you know like their reading. Bill George was the first. In fact, he was the first middle linebacker. Here's a picture, Fred. Let me hand over to you. Here's the Bill George football. 1956 Tops card. Trading a card, like uh-huh. baseball cards, the football cards. Bill George, he was a middle linebacker, but look real closely at what position, like it says, you know, wide and says guard. Guard. Uh-huh. Now, what happened for about, in the NFL, through the 40s and into the 50s, they played five-man lines fronts on the defense. You had the, uh, basically... The left end, defensive end, the right defensive end. Left defensive tackle, right defensive tackle. But the fifth man lined up right over the center. But they didn't call him the center. They called him actually the middle guard. Okay. The middle guard. Now here's from uh, the back of that tops card. William George was the first player to dominate the middle linebacker position. In 1954, unknowingly. He redefined defensive coverage in the NFL for years to come by virtually inventing the 4-3 defense. See, they used to play 5-2, right. as I was just mentioning, in a game against the Philadelphia Eagles in 1954. Rather than standing right in front of the center from the middle guard position, Bill George dropped back as the ball was snapped, thereby closing off a passing lane and increasing his chances to force a play and a possible interception from the opposition's quarterback. The Chicago Bears had selected Bill George, yada, yada, second round of the draft in 1951 from Wake Forest. How about that? This guy sort of on his own, sort of innately, said, you know what, I'm going to do more good for my team if I back up. 
from the middle guard right over the center snap and back up a little bit. So the Bears not only famous for, as Brian just talked about, uh, Bill George and Dick Butkus and Mike Singletary and me, right, Brian Erlacher, they invented the position. Yeah. Okay. I That's like that amazing. stuff. I don't know if everybody, sometimes a little history goes a long way. And now you have four linebackers, but do you really? And who's the middle linebacker? Do they really have one? We can talk about that throughout the season. I just love the scheming on both sides of the ball. I know we're running late. EO 11. It's Murph and Fred. We'll be back in a flash. Get back on the baseball beat. Glad you're with us. Vote now at ESP. Excuse me. Well, no, it is I thought you were spitting. Oh, no, I need a beef feeder. ESPN <laughs> 1000. Two olives. Hey! Murph and Fred. Saturday morning. A oh, beef eater for me, please. I'll take a nice craft beer. <laughs> Lineups are in from... Wrigley Field. We're going to take a look, uh, one last look at yesterday's exciting, crazy Cubs game. We have talked uh, about the exciting walk-off homer a couple times today by David uh, Daniel. Daniel. Daniel Polka. I'm sorry. David, maybe it's his brother. Maybe he can get another Polka. Maybe I think of David Bodie and Daniel there you go. Paul can do the Polka dance when he hits those home runs. Maybe uh, Brooks Boyer is going to take the suggestion of our listener, Garage Joe. And as our guy Jesse Rogers uh, reported earlier, uh, apparently right. apparently Chris Bryant picked up a bat, and that's always a good thing, and uh, took some swings off the tee. So we'll see, uh, see how that turned out, how he feels after that uh, yesterday. And, um, you know, it would be nice to get uh, him back. And then the question is, where does David Bodie go? I guess you send him out and bring him back September 1st, unless you want to, because Lestella's out of options by now, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, you can't send Tommy out because Jesse would be distraught. (laughs) So would Tommy. Yeah, he would be. (laughs) He might disappear again. Yeah. You'd hate to have that He's been there for about two months. He's actually been pinch hitting really well. Uh, yeah. um, the last couple times, I don't think he's gotten hit. But before that, he was leading the, leading baseball in pinch hits. I mean, let's see. He had a nice at bat. Uh, no, he flew out yesterday. Yeah, he flew out right. yesterday leading off for he, – he pinch hit for uh, Hendricks um, yeah. in that inning, actually. Exactly in, right. In the, in the sixth inning, he pinch hit for Hendricks, and he made the first out of the inning. There were two outs before Rizzo and that all-important 13-pitch 13 13 at bat. One of the things uh, Joe, I believe, likes uh, the most uh, about Time and Estella is riding. Oh, I thought you were going to say what the things he likes most is riding a Segway through Benny's, <laughs> singing three thousand bottles of beer on the wall. Is he wearing a helmet because it's politically correct? Yes, I'm sure he is. I'm sure when he rides the bike from home, which I'm sure is downtown right here somewhere, to the ballpark, he wears the helmet. I'm sure he does. You take your life in your hands riding the bike or walking or jogging down the lakefront. Yes, you do. As you well know. Uh-huh. We, I lived down here for 25 years. You've been down it's here for nuts. a long, long time. Yeah. Right. I'm sure he does, though. I'm sure he wears it. His bike's, to your left, to your left, and they blow a whistle. Yeah. Come on. But, hey, people love the bikes. And don't ever say anything bad about him. I've learned that. Yeah, well, I can't. I will. But Besides one of the... has got to be specific. One of the main reasons I moved to the suburbs. But other than that, that's okay. Someone that bought my condo probably is a bike guy. So yeah. everybody's happy. Yeah, you know what they have in the, in the suburbs? Bike paths. 
Yeah, where, where cars and bikes don't mix. I like the one that goes through Frankfurt right next to the old uh, uh, Plank Road Tavern. Oh, right yeah? On. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't been on that one. I know there's a... There's You're not a, a Frankfurt guy? No. I, well, actually, I, I love a lot of Frankfurters, but... Uh-huh. But uh, I, I may put ketchup on mine once in a while, and people yell. Okay. They get all upset. We've all been in a good mood till now. Hey, it's my hot dog. I can put maple <laughs> syrup and marshmallow fluff on it if I want to. It's my hot dog. But you don't have to subject us to it. You don't have to tell us. Yeah, it makes well, me... Yeah, whatever. My stomach goes funny when you say yeah, that. Whatever. Okay. So the uh, lineup's in. First, a final look at the uh, Cubs... And now three games. This is the best news, I guess, of all. The Cubs now three games up of the Milwaukee Brewers. Well, and Joachim Soria also went out uh, with an injury two days ago after that uh, grand slam by, uh, um, hmm. what the heck is his name? The grand slam by uh, Hunter Renfro from San Diego oh, yeah, when they yeah, wrapped yeah. up that series. Then what the Brewers do, they have to go down to Atlanta. And Kevin Gaussman, who couldn't pitch for the Orioles because he had so much pressure on him, yeah. no pressure yesterday, pitched a, pitched a masterpiece. For uh, the Braves, just what the Braves need, another pitcher as they wind down this uh, the playoff stretch. So fans are still talking about the walks, the bottom of the sixth inning, Cubs trailing as you uh, maybe saw the game. We've heard about it, but let's take one last listen from the guys over at uh, NBC Chicago Sports. Bottom of the sixth, Cubs have not had a hit. They're trailing two to nothing. First two uh, batters make out. Lestella betting for the pitcher in the eight hole. Russell in the nine hole. That brings up Rizzo. Looks like it's going to be another three up, three down with the uh, no hitter intact. But Riz starts fouling a few off, fouling a few off, running the count up, running the count up. Gets to about nine pitches, ten pitches, eleven. Now the fans either, everything was so boring, they go, hey, this is something different. It's crazy. Keep fouling him off. And he fouls off pitch number eleven, fouls off pitch number twelve. Well, Here's pitch number 13. Cub fans getting behind the big guy. Rizzo on again. <laughs> Snaps a string of 17 consecutive Cubs retired by Hellickson. A great at bat uh, after the game. Riz said, yeah, I heard the fans. It got me pumped up. Hair was standing up on my neck. Goosebumps, you know, and all that. So it, it can pump up a guy. He said, almost put the pressure on me. I didn't want to let the fans down. So he walks, but it rattled Fred Hellickson, who had a no-no going at the time. Yeah, and then he threw, what, eight straight balls yeah. after that. Yeah, he walks Baez and Zobras to load the bases, like you say, Fred, on eight pitches. That brings up Hayward, and I'm thinking, oh boy, they bring in a lefty, and then I find out, well, you know, he's having his best year in many years against lefties, the splits, the matchup, he's over 300 against the lefty, maybe he can just duck snort one out there, hit a seven hopper with the old rolled up sporting news through the hole, the three and a half hole, no, he lines one out there. Hayward has done so much damage with men on base. Well, if you're only going to get one hit, you might as well get it with the bases loaded. <laughs> Three walks and then a solid line drive single from Hayward. What a turnaround. Yeah, he's had big hits all year against lefties. I remember remember when he first had the first one. Everybody was shocked and amazed that he hit one. Then another time he had a big hit off a lefty. And now he's doing it with regularity. Well, he's huge. I mean, we talked with Jesse at length about that. If this guy can just be a shadow. 281, he's hitting 281. He, he doesn't hit 
with authority often. Now, that's why it was so nice to see that line drive. Yeah. And the pitch was out over the plate. But you know what? Often that's a four hopper. He rolls it over to second base. That ties the game up. That brings you now tied two to two to the bottom of the eighth inning. Bottom of the order. Schwarbs gets a base hit to lead off the uh, bottom of the seventh. Contreras hits a, a little tapper uh, towards third. He's called out. Out of the uh, double line uh, base path, as they call it down there, Joe pops a cork, but it was a uh, rule book call by the umpire. I think Joe was just trying to fire everybody up. That leaves one out. Uh, man on first, Hap's going to pinch it now in the eight hole. He hits a ball right up the middle, stays within himself, uses the whole field. That puts men on first and second. Russell Felly stops trying to yank everything, goes up the middle, clean base hit, loads up the bases, Rizzo's up, bases loaded, one out, top of the seventh, fans are cheering, and what's he going to do? He's going to knock in the run, sack fly. No, he's going to be patient. Well, Greg Holland, <laughs> how brave are you going to be here on 3-0? and Slider's always been his best pitch. He walked him. Cubs lead 3-2. to two. What a day for the leadoff man. He's walked three times, and the last two, enormous. That brings you to the ninth inning. Cubs up now 3-2. to two. And in comes Pedro Strope. He appears to be the de facto closer, at least for Joe Madden right now, playing a hot hand. Fred, first batter of the... Uh, uh, first batter, Defoe, is that his name? Yep. I, I never, Defoe. I've seen him around a few times. Hits a ball. I like Jesse said he thought it was a home run into the, uh, little curve of the well right out there in short right center f- field, right field. It's only 300, many fans don't know this. The actual dimension of Wrigley Field down the foul lines, we know is 355 to left, 353 to right, right down the line. You know, the power alleys, they call them the 368s, the 400. The two curves of the well right there, left field and right for 347. Uh-huh. It's only 347. Jesse said, I thought that was going to be right in the basket, tied a game. But uh, for the uh, first out, a terrific catch with the wind blowing. That's Jason Hayward, even when he's not hitting Fred. He's usually out there doing the yep. job with the glove, makes the catch. Next hitter's uh, Big Adams, the lefty, Matt Adams, flies out to left. Final out, it looks like, as Eaton, ah, that's good Eaton, rolls the ball over to a Rizzo, and you painted the picture before, just out of Strope's reach, Yeah, right? Strope almost had it, and then Rizzo got it, he flips it over to Strope, and it's right in Strope's glove, and boom. Bad things. Man on first. Tying run on first. You go, oh, no, here comes Turner, Rendon, and Harper. But he pulls his hat down even tighter to the side. Throws the pitch. Let's get this guy out of here. Turner. Swing and a miss. The slider got him. Cubs win. Cubs win. They come from behind and beat the Nationals 3-2. to two. Kind of a crazy day at the ballpark with Hellickson cruising along. With a no-hitter, Cubs not making much solid contact at all against him. Rizzo, the, the whole key to this game is the Rizzo walk with two outs in the six. I mean, he just grinded out that at-bat. I know it's a cliche, but he works that walk, and it, it really uh, knocked uh, Hellickson 
off his center a little bit. He ends up walking Baez and Zobris, and Hayward delivers to single off the bullpen. Great call there, Lennon J.D., NBC Chicago Sports. When they were putting the uh, W flag up, the camera happened to zoom right in on it from inside the scoreboard up the yard mm-hmm. arm, I believe, whatever it's called. You know, And right when the W gets up to the top, if you have a, a keen eye, an eagle eye, I might have mentioned this once over many years, Fred, but not recently. Just when the W gets up to the top, there'll be a weird thing up there on the yard arm across yeah. or whatever. And it's it appears to be like the an old blue light bulb. And it is an old blue light bulb. What The reason that the W flag goes up at Wrigley Field was by Bill Veck. Back in the 30s, mm-hmm. he said, you know, the fans, the, the workers are coming home on the L. And, you know, yeah, the 85% that have jobs. There was no communication back then. You couldn't pull up what the Cubs score is. So he says, they're coming home from the loop. You know, it's 3, 4 o'clock. They want to know how the Cubs did. So he said, we put the W up so the fans on the L know they won. And they used to put an L yep. up to let them know they With lost. A blue, blue background, well, yeah, right? They reversed it about yeah. 10 years ago. The famous W used to be a white W on the blue flag. Oh, okay. And the loss was now, like now, uh, blue L on the, on the white uh, background flag. But he said at night... Here's where it gets interesting. That little bulb up there, it's on both sides. When they're, dry, they're on the L coming home at night, they can't see the W or the L. So he had a blue light bulb that would light up when the blue Cubs won. Okay. And because the uh, wind flag was blue mm-hmm. back then with the white. And on the other side, up and down there, you'll still see there was the uh, white uh, light bulb, which would tell you at night that they lost. So My question is, yeah. how many people really actually looked out the L to see that? Back then? Yeah. I bet a lot. I wonder. Baseball was this is the 30s and the 40s. Are you kidding? Cubs were good. Anybody calling? Somebody, you know, they'd have to be what? In their 90s right now, right? Give us a call. A little bit, a little bit older. Well, actually, if you, if you were taking the yell and you looked and you saw if the light bulb was blue or white. Well, actually, I was there with Bill when we when we <laughs> did that, and he said, "What color should the W flag be?" I said, "Put the cup blue up there with the white W." There you go. And someone about ten years ago, nah, 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 it's got to be a white flag. Murph and Fred got the starting lineups back in a flash. ESPN one thousand. And Fred, home stretch. Real quick, the uh, results. Which Bears position worries you the most? Linebackers on the defensive side, 43% defensive backs and off- a defensive line tied at about 28% each. Congratulations. Who are the Lombard Orioles? Uh, everybody knows Vuk. Jeff Vukovic, the manager. They're playing uh, Beecher. It's the uh, NABF World Series. Everybody in the uh, uh, amateur baseball ranks knows it over there in Battle Creek. That's been there about 105 years. Amateur ball. Fred, guys like 18 to 25 years old still have the dream. Lineups are in. The winners get cereal from Battle Creek. Um, The lineups are in for the Cubs. Rizzo is going to walk some more. He leads off at first base with Baez at second, hitting second. Hayward in right. Bodie at third, hitting cleanup. Contreras is behind the plate. Schwarber in left. Russell at shortstop. John Lester on the hill, still hitting eighth. The pitcher is. And Albert Almora getting a start after not starting the last three games. He'll be in center field and hit ninth. He's been ice cold, Almora. People sure has. Maybe he's hurt. Maybe he's dinged up. That's why he didn't didn't play for three days. Joe just said, you're not hitting, young man. 
Hey, I want to thank our guest, Jesse Rogers at 10 o'clock. He's always there for us. And uh, Patrick Finley devoting some personal time with some great uh, Bears talk there in the 11 o'clock hour. Also, uh, Eric Ostrowski for all of his help today and Steve Garcia for hanging around and watching what we do today, which is, uh, which is, I'm sad, sad for him. Oh, he's a great guy. He had never, a chance to watch well, us. He never fell asleep once in three hours. <laughs> I, I don't think. I've been, we did. I don't know about him. <laughs> I haven't kept an eye on him the whole 30 minutes. Murph and Fred saying thanks for listening. Thanks for calling. See you later, everybody.